Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. With us today for his triumphant return <laughs> is my husband, Mark Johnson. Welcome back, Mark. We got him back. Yeah. And it's great to be here, you two. It's been so long. Yay. Listeners, you might recall that for his last episode, that was the tumultuous season two, episode 16. Is that right? Yeah. Amazing Andy and his wonderful world of bugs. We just decided we're going to have you back for any episode where Crosby gets laid. <laughs> I was going to address that, but I'm glad we're getting that out of the way right now. Sans hat this time. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. And it Did was, that make it um, any better? You know, I didn't even think about the fact that the hat was not there and I liked Crosby so much more. So we'll we'll explore that today. That's Ooh, another thing for me to that, think about. That's what we call a tease in a business. <laughs> Yep. Hang Keep on, listening, everyone. everyone. Stay tuned because we're going <laughs> to talk about that. We are. Well, how have you been the last five months, Mark yeah. Johnson? Wow, Caleb, it doesn't seem like five months, does it? It doesn't. <laughs> uh, I've been well. Um, you know, it seemed for a month there like things were going to get um, almost normal, but around our neck of the woods, um, that's not happening right now. Um, because, yeah. you know, people don't want to inject poison in their bodies or whatever. But this isn't a political podcast, so let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, what else? I, I mean, I feel like a lot's happened and nothing's happened at all. We have had people over at the house, including you. <laughs> yes. And that's great. That was so fun. And so, you know, it, we just had friends over this whole last week. And um, I think everybody had fun and we did normal things. And so that was great. Um, that's terrific. Yeah. 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 Oh, and, uh, a situation that has developed is we have this guppy situation because we got, <laughs> we have, uh, this, uh, pandemic aquarium and, you know, long story short, we had, th- uh, four female guppies and it's turned into about 27 guppies and we can get into the science and biology of, <laughs> guppy life and all that if we want to at some point just let me know give me the wink and we'll start talking about it um but that's on my mind um that's mostly a positive okay okay (laughs) melissa how are you (laughs) i feel like i stole your but i guess you don't need to catch up with mine. that's true i know how he's you live with him yeah he's been great do you ever really know anybody though (laughs) That's true. I mean, the BTK killer's wife had no idea. Well, on her podcast, she was like, we're great. Everything's great. The neighbors love us and nobody's endangered at all by our existence. And then the sky fell. Yeah. So on that well, note. Well, let's get to the episode. Oh, we're here we're for We're very happy that you came back. Yay. I'm happy to be here. Yay. Good. We wanted you here because this is Parenthood Season 3, Episode 10, Mr. Honesty. And since neither Melissa nor I are qualified to speak about honesty, we we actually have seven kids between the two of us. That's right. We're lying bastards. Yeah. You can't believe anything we say. (laughs) Season 3, Episode 10, Mr. Honesty. It was written by Monica Henderson-Beletsky, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on November 22nd, 2011. And here's the NBC synopsis. An inappropriate moment at work disrupts Adam and Christina's marriage. Meanwhile, Crosby and Jasmine reconnect after clearing up Jabbar's misunderstanding of their relationship. 
In an attempt to boost his college applications, Drew seeks out extracurricular activities, and Amber is uncertain about her future. Also, a meeting with Zoe's boyfriend may jeopardize Julia and Joel's adoption plan. I'm realizing upon reading the synopsis, they describe a story that doesn't actually happen in this episode. Did you catch that? I did not catch that. Drew seeks out extracurricular activities. You're totally right. No, he doesn't. He's not in this episode. I didn't see Drew one time in this episode. <laughs> He's not in my notes. But here's a fun fact that I was planning to save for the end of the episode, but I forgot that it was alluded to in the synopsis. On the DVD for this episode, there were not only deleted scenes, but a deleted storyline. Is it that Drew... Seeks out. Sought out extra great activities. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. It was a whole storyline, deleted five scenes in all. The first one was a counselor telling Sarah that Drew needed extracurricular activities to help with his college applications. The second scene was him brainstorming what he could do with his mom and grandparents. The third was him reading Peter Pan to kids at a library. Oh, I wanted to see that. It did not go well. (laughs) The fourth scene was him telling Sarah that he wasn't going to go back to the library. And then finally, the last scene was him telling Sarah he was going to work on the crew for the school play. And she figures out that it's because Amy does costumes. Oh. So, but it was kind of shocking after I watched it how easily it lifted up. Like, it literally had no impact on anything else in the episode. And also shocking that they would have been that long. Yeah. Like, that over time. It just means that Sarah was only in the episode for one scene. That's true. Yeah, she's only in that one with Amber. And Drew wasn't in it at all. No. I think there was a lot of meat in this episode. I'm, I don't think yeah. we needed much more. So knowing what I know now, I think this is uh, plenty. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of a lot of meat, let's start with that opening shot of the breakfast table. <laughs> nice. That is an absurd amount of food for a breakfast for four people. It looked to me like there was a quiche, a bowl of fruit, a bowl of potatoes, a platter of sausage, and then the French toast on the end. I'm not arguing with those foods. Sounds delicious. <laughs> but like the bowls of fruit and potatoes were gargantuan. And how many sausage links could four people consume? I mean, let's even aim high and say they're each going to have five sausage links. <laughs> That's 20. And it looked like there had to be at least twice that on that platter. And what pan did they cook it in? <laughs> like it would have had to have been batches. And and why just <laughs> I know just why. a TV movie pet peeve of mine that there are these elaborate usually breakfasts with just so much food. At least this one didn't have like a harried teenager rushing through and eating half a slice of toast and then saying see you tonight, which I feel like they usually do. They have a giant spread and then no one eats any of it. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> it did just bother me. Like just. Have a reasonable amount of food. Here's why they did that. It's to let us, the audience, know how hard Julia and Joel are trying. It's like a visual representation of them trying too hard and and giving it too much. Wow. Okay, you're allowed. (laughs) Or they really like sausage. That's a good point. That could be too. (laughs) It is funny when Troy cancels on them and Joel goes, well, more for us. And it's like, yeah, because you might not have had enough otherwise if he showed up. (laughs) But you know, when you... When you have breakfast, is there ever enough sausage? From the vegetarian. (laughs) I'm just thinking back to my days in the dark days, you know, the before times. And I think about there was never enough sausage. 
There's, well, the bacon sausage is what never, I usually find yeah, and more bacon. irresistible. But sausage, yeah. No, not so much. I will say today we had vegetarian sausage. Yummy? Yeah, it was good. Maybe they had vegetarian sausage. We don't know. We don't know. They could have. If Sydney is Sydney episode, still a vegetarian? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah, where was she? Was she up in her baby dungeon while they ate <laughs> 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 <Big> breakfast? <laughs> anyway, since they didn't get to meet Troy, the baby daddy, we got treated to this fun scene of Joel and Julia scoping him out online. Isn't this a bit stalkerish? No, this is research. Stalkery? I got him. Troy Quinn, The mm-hmm. Mission, San Francisco, boyfriend of Zoe De Haven. There we go. Oh, yeah. look, he's cute. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, my God, he's really cute. What is right? he doing working at a convenience store? Yeah. He could model or strip. Ooh. What? I'm sorry. Wow. I just... My wife picturing our birth father stripping. That's a little weird for me, honey. I just, I see what she sees in him. Okay, On the focus surface. Focus and, right, let's find out about the rest of him. Jury's still out. Yeah. Fan of World Cup soccer. That's good. Yeah. Okay, beach, movies, death metal. Yanks. Boy. No favorite books. Oh, well, we'll have an illiterate headbanger. That's but okay. But a pretty one. Yeah. Okay, hello. (laughs) We did find out that Zoe has a last name, DeHaven. Yeah. Suck on that, Alex. (laughs) I'm happy for Ms. DeHaven. Ms. DeHaven. And Mr. Quinn, he gets a last name too. Yeah, he gets a last name immediately. And he's a little bitch. Wow. (laughs) Are we going to unpack Swim Fan talking about being stalkerish or are we going to go there? I did not even put that together. Oh, I didn't connect that. I did think that it. this was one of those scenes that because we're seeing it from their perspective and because of the tone the show is clearly trying to portray, that I just laughed at it mm-hmm. when it is maybe a little creepy. Not even that they're looking him up. That I, I would do that. I feel like that's kind of human, especially with these tools are at everyone's fingertips. But to like say out loud, oh, he should be stripping. Yeah. Whoa, that's uh, that's a jump. But I mean, I guess when people put up pictures of themselves half naked, as he had, it kind of already was stripping. <laughs> so I don't know. He might as well got paid for it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how to feel about the way she was commenting on him. It was funny, but it was one of those things where I'm like, it's funny for me, the viewer. And Joel took it, you know, very much in stride and was not like threatened by that. But I I did think, what a strange reaction. Like, (laughs) I don't I don't know. Did it? It is odd, though, to be judging someone's appearance, which generally would be pretty shallow thing. I mean, I guess it is still kind of is, but they are about to have a child that is genetically Mm. his. So they would be curious, what might our baby look like? We know it'll look like Zoe, who's beautiful. Yeah. Did she have sex with a troll? No. (laughs) This guy could strip. Hooray. (laughs) Little baby stripper that they're going to (laughs) have. All right. Let's discuss the first time we, the audience, really meet Troy. Anyway, I, I know it's kind of an awkward thing, but I just wanted to kind of get things out in the open if you had any questions or whatnot, you know. We just wanted to uh, make sure that uh, you guys are as comfortable as possible with us, you know. You really want this baby bad, huh? Uh, you know, I have six brothers and sisters. Six of them. You can have any one you want. <laughs> okay. Wow, that is generous. <laughs> uh, hey, would you um, would you have dinner with us? You and Zoe. Who's cooking? I am. 
Oh, she's got you wanting a baby and cooking? Don't give Zoe any ideas. How's Saturday? I like steak. Steak it is. Too bad he didn't like sausage. They got a lot left over. <laughs> <laughs> this scene reminded me of that fake SNL perfume commercial. Red flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked Troy, actually. I, I thought I really, uh, I mean, in this particular scene, I thought he kind of came across pretty real in a way. Like it was kind of an awkward interchange between the two and, and they were just, he's kind of serious and he's, he's a little off base. It's like he's pushing, but he's also being very polite, which is, I think, taking Joel off his game a little bit. And Joel keeps trying to, you know, come on, let's, let's get to the heart of things. And, and I feel like Troy's kind of not playing with him, but I think seeing how, what he can get away with maybe, or, or what kind of guy he is and, I don't know. I, I thought it was, I mean, I liked Troy. You know, the first thing I saw from him was a shirtless photo, and it, that was a little rocky. Um, <laughs> but then when I met him with his shirt on, I, I liked him. It was weird. I couldn't get a read on him exactly, and I think that was very well done on the part of the show. My The red flag moment for me was when he was like, you guys really want this baby bad. Mm-hmm. I went, uh-oh. You know, like, I, I, felt, <laughs> I felt nervous. And you could tell that Joel was nervous, too. And, of course, he didn't know what to say because he didn't want to be like, yes, we do. Because he sensed that was, like, going into some sort of trap, I think. But he also yeah. didn't want to say no because he does want the baby. He and Julia both do. So you could tell he just didn't know what to say. And so it was really interesting to watch this, like, young guy kind of throw Joel off because I feel like no one ever throws Joel off. He's very smart and he's always taken everything in really perceptive. So yeah, it was interesting. And every once in a while he'd say something unexpectedly charming. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, he wasn't just like a dirt bag, you know, I I liked that he was kind of layered and interesting and yeah, you could see why Zoe who's smart would be with someone like him. You know, he wasn't just a loser. Anyway, what were your thoughts? Yeah. I was impressed with this scene for the same reasons. Like, because if you were concocting like a nightmare scenario of who the father might be, this doesn't look like that at all. Mm-hmm. And yet I I came away with a really bad vibe, mm-hmm. but not beaten over the head with it. You know, it was like I was amazed that the scene was able to activate alarm bells in me, but without going over the top or like even anywhere near the top. But yeah, the you really want this baby. You can have any of my siblings. Like he was joking. But to me, the subtext was like, don't take the baby. Huh? And then, then something like, Oh, she's got you wanting a baby and cooking. Okay. So yeah, that was kind of gross. That speaks to some, yeah, like gross thing. And then like, I like stick Mm -hmm. just felt like a, you know, okay, jump through my hoop, Joel. Yeah, I'll take the hot, the most expensive thing on the menu. I felt like the six brothers and sisters thing was a like a nice little character development piece. Like you just got an idea that maybe there wasn't a lot to go around or right. he had to kind of hustle for what he had. That's Those are the kind of things that I saw um, when he said that. I thought that was a really interesting little wrinkle for that character that, you know, maybe a little bit of humanity there. So That's true. And I didn't play at the beginning that he apologized to Joel for missing the breakfast, which was very polite. Why did he miss that breakfast, though, do you think? Like, why did he stand them up? If he thought, I can shake these people down for money, 
wouldn't he think this is not the way to go about it? You know, I just, I guess I don't understand. Was that just more a cue for us, mm. the viewers, that we're not to trust this guy? So our first impression isn't good? It just doesn't, yeah. I kind of took it as he's just like a kid. You can't always count on kids to make it to things mm. that maybe, I don't, I don't know. I guess it could go in a number of different ways, and maybe it just kind of unfolds as you meet this character and get to know him more, too. Yeah. And I suppose Zoe could have been telling the truth that he did get called into work. Yeah. I mean, a job like that, it would just be shifts, and someone might call in and say, so-and-so didn't show up. Can you get here? Yeah. Who knows? Or if he has six brothers and sisters. <laughs> Maybe he had to take care of something. When he apologized, did he reiterate that he had to work or did he just apologize for not making it? I can't remember. I think he just apologized. I don't remember. Yeah. That's interesting. That's That could be sloppy writing or that could be really concise writing, depending on what they're doing with the character. Or I get the feeling that while he might be the type to apologize, I don't know that he's the type to fall all over himself with like excuses or... Because yeah. polite is who... I mean, he is polite. Even when he's making demands, he's polite. I don't know yeah. that he's ever rude. I don't necessarily like what he's doing, but I don't feel like he's, you know. Right. I was surprised at their dinner to learn that Joel and Julia live in Oakland, apparently. That seems like new information. I looked it up. I've never been... well. I've been to San Francisco, but I have not spent much time in the Bay Area whatsoever. And it doesn't seem impossible. Oakland is right next to Berkeley. And they've alluded to Oakland before, like the food bank where Camille and Hattie worked is in Oakland. Where they met Alex. So, you know, it's possible that Zeke could have run from Berkeley to Oakland that he did in the last episode. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and some of the nicest neighborhoods in Oakland, it looks like, are on the north side adjacent to Berkeley. So, and Joel did say, well, we're kind of in the boonies up here. Okay, so maybe this geography all checks out. <laughs> I'm sure I can tell from the look on Melissa's face right now that like, Oh, interesting. I didn't care at all. And I still actually, <laughs> I told Mark that you would look this up because Mark was like, oh, they live in Oakland. And I'm like, this is new information, but Caleb's going to be on it. <laughs> and on it, I was. Totally on it. And I will say, um, as we go into this particular scene, I mean, I do, I actually think it was because Oakland, I think, is pretty well known for the gentrification that's going on there. And they mention I'm from, you know, that he's from Oakland, too. And he's like a different part of Oakland. Right. And then there's, I think, the bitterness. Maybe you can kind of see that growing and building in that scene. And then and that can take on its own thing as to what comes next, I think. For me, it was weird. The first time I watched it, I was really disgusted by Troy. And the second time I watched it, I was not. I, I was kind of, and my thoughts didn't unfold completely. So I might be stammering a lot through this, but I thought... I saw it in a little different light. I saw him as maybe like a bit of a have and have not situation and him like, well, we don't get anything that we want. Why shouldn't we, you know, get something yeah. from you? And I'm empathetic toward that in a way, even though I don't particularly agree with it. We'd like to change some of the terms. Uh -huh. No, we don't want to change any of the terms. We just, well, Troy looked into it. Mm -hmm. and we just have a few questions. Okay. You've been like, covering her medical expenses and that's been amazing. It's been great. really helpful. Good. Yeah. But Zoe's going to be carrying around this baby for nine months. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's almost a year out of her, out of our lives. Okay. She's going to go through the trauma of delivering it. Right. I don't know if we've really fully expressed how grateful we are for this. You know, it's the most incredible gift that anyone could ever give us. And, and we really consider that we're so lucky. Mm -hmm. 
And we're so happy. And we're so super psyched to What I'm getting at is kids. people pay a lot of money for a baby these days. A girl Zoe's age can get up to 30K just for an egg. Um, Troy, if you're asking for what I think you're asking, um, I have to tell you that in the state of California, it's illegal to pay a biological parent for their child. Aren't you a lawyer? Yes. Right, so I they pay you to Troy work around the laws, no? No. Troy, my wife's job is actually to uphold the law. Do you understand? It's to make sure that people aren't treated unfairly. So when you come into our house and you try to coerce us into we're illegal We're not trying to coerce. Let me just say, this is such a misunderstanding. It's we, not we we're can, doing. We would never do that. It's just, just It I feels to that. me like it's a little one-sided. You guys have laid out your terms. You're getting everything you want. Doing pretty well for yourselves. I think it, it's only fair Zoe and I get to say what, what we feel works for us. Oh, Troy, come on, sit down. They made dinner. It's can, fine. Can, can, we, just, can we sit and talk about this? Thank yeah, you for the steak. It was great. Troy, just sit down. I come think on, we should talk going. about it. Well, I really didn't think about how much Troy sounded like Christian Slater until I listened to that. <laughs> but no audience at home, that wasn't Christian Slater. Um, so I thought this was a rough scene. And I thought it was uh, it was really good. And I think let's give it up for the guy who plays Troy because I think that he just kills it really good. I should say that actor's name is Rafi Gavrin. And then I I don't know. It's just it's like I go from is he is he trying to take advantage of a situation or is he just seeing it in a different light? And then I just started kind of going down this rabbit hole of, you know, when they talk, when he says, like, isn't it your job as a lawyer? And then he kind of explains what he sees it. And, you know, there is some ignorance there. It's his view. And he doesn't, he's a kid. He doesn't get, you know, he's not on that side. So he sees it his way. But when Joel says, you know, to uphold the law and keep people from being treated unfairly, that's an interesting statement coming from a man who is in a top 10% tax bracket or whatever it is to a kid who is literally hustling in a grocery store to get by, what is fair, right? And a lot of people would argue, as I will, that the law doesn't really uphold what is fair for everyone. It holds up what is fair for the people who make the laws, which are usually the elite, financially elite. So I don't know. I just, I went deep on this. I don't know if you guys felt this way or not, but I just, it, the first time I saw it very superficially and very much like, how dare you, Troy? And the second time I'm like... Troy is visionary, <laughs> and Troy is is fighting a losing battle. But I don't I don't think it's I don't know. I think there's there are things that I would argue that he's maybe um, right on, or, or his feelings are justified on. Now maybe you know asking for more money and trying to I don't know if he's blackmailing or you know how you would exactly what you would call this is not fair, <laughs> you know. But then what is fair? Yeah. I share most of those thoughts. I mean, on one level, I do think what he's doing ultimately is wrong. Like, yeah, you can't profit off of selling a human being. But I also just watched this scene where two young people, one of whom works at a grocery store and has six siblings, and the other one works at a coffee cart, sitting across from two wealthy people in their upscale home in a swanky neighborhood, and they're giving them basically the one thing that they can't get for themselves. 
And when it's done, their lot in life won't be changed at all. They'll just have given up a baby and they'll go right back to their minimum wage lives and Joel and Julia live the dream. I certainly see where Troy is coming from. It it doesn't feel fair. But also, I don't think the solution would be, well, Joel and Julia have money. They should just pay for it. Right. That doesn't feel right either. But I don't know. I definitely, I didn't think he was pure evil. No. Far from it. And well, I love everything you just said, Mark. And I totally see that. I think the the few lines that really rub me the wrong way it, he kind of made it sound like Zoe had gotten pregnant for them. Like, here's the thing. If they had hired Zoe as a surrogate, she would be getting paid, right? Like, cause that's a whole mm-hmm. different thing, but they yeah. got pregnant together accidentally and were planning to give the baby up for adoption. And Zoe chose these people. And so he's acting like, you know, she's doing all this for you, but it's like, she was doing all of this anyway, you know, and, and I don't mean to sound insensitive or judgmental. I, I don't feel that way at all. In fact, I think it's really incredible that she chose to have the baby and give the baby up for adoption because Troy's right. She is putting her body through so much and she doesn't even keep the baby. You know, it's not for her and for him. It's it's for someone else. But I think he's kind of simplifying it and making it sound like you know, she wasn't going to be going through all of this already. In fact, Joel and Julia are making this a much better experience for Zoe because they are paying for what they can pay for, her medical expenses, and they're giving her all this emotional support that she doesn't seem to have from anyone else, including Troy, I think. Um, You know, I mean, although I don't know, that's maybe debatable. I don't know what kind of relationship they have. This is the first time we've met him. Yeah, it is something I really wondered about, though. Now meeting him, it was hard for me to tell how on board she was with all of this. Because, you know, as soon as he said, we want to change the terms, she was very quick to say, no, 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 we don't want to change the terms. But then she does say we have some questions. And when she meets Julia again at the end of the episode, it wasn't an abject apology. Like, Troy was speaking out of turn and he doesn't speak for me. It wasn't that. It was just like, basically, I'm sorry, dinner was weird. Mm -hmm. So does she want more money out of this or not? It was hard to tell. There were times, I mean, like at the end of that dinner scene when Troy said, we're leaving, that it seemed like Zoe just did whatever he said. And I even took note, like it was disturbing and yet sadly believable for us to have gotten to know Zoe as much as we have. And she seems confident and assertive. And then we see her with him and she just completely shrinks, Mm. even though he's not like yelling or screaming. And I just thought that's that's a window into something there that we haven't seen. And I don't even know if that even. Well, here's my question, I guess. What difference does it make if this is how Zoe feels? Does it make a difference if Troy is trying to shake Joel and Julia down or if Zoe is realizing that she's not happy with what she's going to be getting out of this. Here's a question that I really don't know the answer to. What rights do biological fathers have regarding a baby that's going to be given up for adoption? You know, like, is it the whole, like, Mm. my body, my choice, or is that something they're supposed to do together? I I genuinely don't know. That's a fascinating question because I wonder, like, if the mom decided that the baby was going to be adopted... Could the father, does he get like first dibs 
I mean, is he able to say, well, if you don't want to raise the baby, I'll raise the baby. I don't know. I mean, it kind of seems like, yeah, he should if it's his biologically and he wants to raise it. But then also then she's like an incubator for that specific person. And I, also he doesn't seem to want to raise it. He just wants to get money, money <laughs> for, for the it. baby. I didn't look that up. I did look up. <laughs> it was surprisingly hard to Google. Is it illegal to buy a baby or any variations? It just immediately you get lots of like trafficking sites and things, God. which, you know, I realized like, well, that's what trafficking is. It's mm-hmm. selling people, wow. often children. But I did find an article on AmericanAdoptions.com that was pretty helpful. And according to that, there are a number of scenarios in which a pregnant mother can receive financial support during pregnancy and the adoption. But it is strictly regulated and it is not a fee for the child itself. It's stuff like your medical expenses are paid for or under some circumstances, maybe where you're living while you're pregnant is supplemented or some of your living expenses, things like that. But it's never hand the baby over and then you get X amount of dollars. That doesn't happen. Although according to fortune.com in an article called human egg donation prices make no sense, an egg can fetch between $5,000 and $50,000. So Troy was correct about that. I knew that because when I donated my egg to my cousin, I did not get paid for that but i knew that you could and it was interesting Hmm. do you think that that going back to that six sibling statement that maybe that unveils maybe a more traditional upbringing i feel like families that have more kids you know sometimes that's a that can show you some religious things that can show you kind of a more traditional way of you know you're going to have lots of kids for whatever reason and then it kind of plays into this where he's it's just very paternalistic and it's very much what he says goes and you can see that fabric of their relationship. And I also wonder, you know, like behind closed doors, he's telling her these things. He knows what he's talking about. Some of it. Some of it he yeah. obviously doesn't, but he knows more than she knows. And he could make it sound very good to her behind closed doors, you know, because I, I mean, we've all had this happen, especially when we're younger, where you get talked into something and then as it unfolds, you're like, oh, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> no, you know, and I think she's caught between two things. She loves this boy. She thinks he's smart. She thinks he's looking out for her. He obviously is. He's looking out for himself. He's looking out for at least himself and her in some way or another, or that's how he's painting it. But then you know, Joel and Julia are as well. They're very kind to her. They're doing everything that they can do and trying to form a relationship with her and try to do these things and kind of go above and beyond within the legal parameters. And so, and I think she recognizes that. I don't think that it's lost on her. And so then in this moment, it all unfolds and these two things are hitting each other and and it's kind of traumatic. And I think then sometimes the truth comes out where you're just like, oh, I I guess this isn't so great. (laughs) I don't know. The way that she said, we just have some questions, and he was like, we want to change the terms. I wonder if she would have phrased it like, is there anything? Like, could could I go to college and not be a coffee cart person anymore? Like, can you pay for that? You know, I wonder what kind of questions she might have asked. And honestly, part of me is like, that doesn't seem so unfair. Like, they love her. And if there was a legal way to go around, you know, like... Well, and it makes you wonder, could they... I mean, maybe this... I think you're exactly right. And I wonder if Troy, if maybe even if that's what he was getting at, like, 
let's say they have the baby, Joel and Julia take it, fine. And then next year, Zoe does go to college and Joel and Julia just happen to offer to pay for it. But no, it wasn't for the baby. We adopted the baby last year. But wink, wink, actually, they came to some understanding that they would do her that favor. I mean, would that be illegal? How can you tie it to exchange for the baby if everyone involved is saying, no, 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 that was separate? And who would even find out about that? I I don't know. Maybe that's what they were after. Like, can we just come to some arrangement? Because that's very different from $1 million. You know, yeah, what I, like, here's what? a check and the hospital and here's a receipt. Well, and, Okay, we're not going to do you that. You know, living in a college town with a prominent basketball team. I mean, that, this is a talk that's often had amongst sports fans as like, why can't an athlete who has God gifted talent that everybody wants to see and a certain organization makes millions of dollars on the likeness? get a hamburger without losing their scholarship or without the college getting in trouble. That just strikes me when you, the way that you laid that out, you know, and, but then where do you draw the line and should their line be drawn? Because where there's exploitation, it will continue to go and go and go, you know, and at what point is it no longer helping anybody? Well, and why is it that Zoe can sell an egg for 30 K, but not the baby? I mean, some of the reasons are obvious, but and also, like, can you sell, a, like, a kidney? You can't do that, right? It has to be donated. I don't think you can. I don't think you can. But I've read online. Again, so, like, so you can sell an <laughs> egg, but not the kidney. I just, Yeah, I mean, it does get a little murky. And I certainly think you wouldn't want to get into a situation where Troy is running the show and, like, okay, they say, right. yes, we will pay for college for Zoe because we love her anyway and we're so grateful and here's a gift. And then he's like... And what about a car too? What about how? So like, mm-hmm. like you don't want it to get to a point where it's like extortion, extortion for eighteen years, and <laughs> or or they take the baby back or or something. You know, I mean, I guess yeah, I see why there are laws for sure. But it, like Mark said earlier, it does seem unfair to watch those two kids with hardly anything sit in that big fancy house, and they're gonna give them their baby too. And you know, this scene really is interesting to me because it. You know, like I said, on second watch, I saw it a different, but I think the uncomfortable truth that hangs over that conversation, the conversation between them, um, and, and how often do we see a show that can have a scene like that without just hitting you over the head with it? I mean, I feel like the nuance there is laying there. The acting is so solid and the writing is solid enough that you can just read into it as far as you want. You could take it at, at face yeah. value and say, this is... This kid, he's trying to extort this nice family. That's bullshit. Or you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I don't know that you can always do that. I mean, I don't watch as much TV as some, but I don't feel like <laughs> is that I don't that feel like that, no. <laughs> I don't feel like that's normal, right? I mean, maybe 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 it is. Maybe that you can just do what you want with it. You know, it's really up to the viewer. But I I feel like that's a a really impeccably crafted scene. Um, that maybe they weren't even meaning to explore some of those things, but because it's out there, it's there, you know? I do think it's a really nuanced show. I, I think a lot of shows would have had Troy be a lot more villainous or a lot more, or like he would have yelled. Like the control he had over Zoe would have felt dangerous instead of like kind of unsettling or, you know, just yeah. unfortunate. Well, his manners are unsettling. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but you know, in a, in a couple but different subtly, ways, yeah. it, it's unsettling in, in a, obviously an abusive kind of way where you're like, you know, so he can get away with this and then behind closed doors, how is he going to be? But it's also unsettling in kind of a, 
a way of he can I mean if, if with the the powerful like he could maybe get into those rooms with those people through his plot and maybe get some things done <laughs> you know and um so that's a different kind of unsettling and that undercurrent of the have and have not mm-hmm. is another really complex layer in all of this and it does make you sympathize with them but also then the other side of it this feels like a very conservative thing to say but if you don't have a lot of resources, don't get pregnant. Like oh. that's the very like, you know. But they are not heartless. keeping the baby. But yeah, yeah. And, and conservatives would be like good for them. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and I think if that's what feels right to her, that is very good. But then you kind of have to like, if that's what you're choosing, you have to choose all of it. Yeah. This was not a surprise to her. If she had gone with an agency, she wouldn't have gotten paid for the baby either. Right. Again. There would be some expenses covered, but there's no legal circumstance in which, oh, I found myself pregnant. Time to make money. Right. No. Yeah. And it seems like her situation is her pregnancy is unfolding in the best possible way that it legally can for her. I mean, she is getting top quality care. She's getting, you know, love. I mean, she's getting looked for, you know, looked after. And I don't think they're exploiting her. Obviously, they wouldn't be as close to her if they didn't want her baby, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they're, you know, exploiting her. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It, she's in well, a good And something situation. I keep wondering about, Zoe said she wanted a closed adoption earlier in the season, that it would be too hard to know who the baby was going to. I don't think they've ever explicitly said, well, now it's going to be an open adoption. Like now Zoe will continue to have some relationship with the baby even after he's born. But I kind of wonder if they should revisit that or maybe we're just supposed to assume they have because I feel like Zoe has gotten close enough to Joel and Julia that are we supposed to think that once she has the baby, she just disappears from their lives and they never speak again? Heartbreaking. I would think that maybe one of the silver linings of all of this is that Zoe would realize, hey, I could continue perhaps to have some relationship with my child. Yeah. Even after they're born, without the burden of full-time motherhood. Yeah. Maybe she would not want that. And that, I think, is a valid choice, too. But I think it would be really, realistically, it would be hard for a person to see that far ahead. Like when you're just trying to get by. True. You know, and you're just trying to make it to the next day. And you have an unsettling relationship. And you have, you know, all these different things going on. I, I think it's asking a lot. Even though it's a very adult situation to be pregnant, it doesn't necessarily mean it's you're going to have an adult mindset or you're going to be, make those right. best choices. But yeah, on, I mean, obviously, it would be great if she could think that far ahead and think about those things and then bring those up to him and maybe he would value those things. But he is streamlined in his thinking because I don't think he's very tied in with the baby so much. He may love her and he may want to do the best for them. And if he is traditional he may see his job as the male to be the breadwinner and to find how we're going to get the most out of this situation you know i mean i'll give him i'll give him some leeway there yeah and so he's he's looking farther ahead than she can look the thing i really want to know is to what extent does he care for or love her because if he is doing this like zoe said and and i think thinks because he's just looking out for me then what he's doing 
does feel more like hustling. Like I'm looking out for my family and my family is Zoe and me. And, you know, we got to get the best life we can. And can we make something out of this situation? But if it's more about him, you know, if it's more about what can I get off of this? I mean, like Zoe has been forming a relationship with these people for months and this is the first time he's come around. Is he just like, all of a sudden realizing, oh, here's an opportunity. I didn't care enough to come around before. You know what I mean? Like, it feels very different to me if it's just about taking care of himself versus truly looking out for his girlfriend. Yeah. Well, and if it were, I don't think this is what it is, but it could even be as far as, maybe this is exactly what Zoe is feeling and she just doesn't feel like she has the guts to bring it up. Yeah. And maybe Troy is going, well, I'll do it. Yeah, it's hard to do. Now, I don't think that's what's happening. If it was... That would be really different. And there's lots of gradients in between. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it almost feels deliberate that there is so much that we don't know. And they're not really leading us to anything. You know, so that that's kind of fun. Because I really, I, I agree with Melissa that if we knew, if we had a little inch of understanding of what he's actually, like what his feelings are on her and what he is, then we would be able to go a lot farther with our judgment of him, but we don't. And so we have to look at these other things. And I think that's pretty cool. This is such a small thing, but I guess one clue is that when they find him on social media, it does say like boyfriend to Zoe to Haven. Like that's something like, yeah. You know. Well, I was just thinking that it hadn't occurred to me until right in this moment that the show certainly made a choice that she was in a relationship, mm-hmm. that there was a father involved rather than, oh, I'm not with the father anymore yeah. or, oh, it was just a fling or something, you know, that maybe this was an unplanned pregnancy, but it was not, you know, it wasn't necessarily an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I like the, you know, now after we've spoke for so long about this and I go back to that scene where they're kind of stream of consciousness looking at his Facebook page or whatever page that is. And, you know, we see that he's shirtless, but we don't get any idea that he's like a fuck boy or something like that. <laughs> we also, we see that he's drinking, but we don't get any ideas that he's an alcoholic or an addict. You know, no. it feels very normal, you know, like a yeah. little bit like what, but not enough to have any kind of judgment on him. And, and that's interesting as well. But I never even thought about the fact that it says that he's in a relationship with her. And that could just be for the show so they could find him easier. Yeah. But it also could be for his character, because I think this character is really interesting, and I don't have any idea what happens next, but I would, I'm would i almost sucked in here. I, like, I kind of want to see what <laughs> Troy does next, if he's back, yeah. or if we even see him again, or whatever. Because I think, I find him kind of a fascinating character, and I think the actor that portrayed him did a great job. I really just do. I just thought it was really good. I remember he was on this show that I watched. It was called Life Unexpected. And he was the boyfriend of this young teenage girl, and his character's name was Bug. That's all I remember. Her parents were like, Bug. <laughs> so anyway. Bug Guthrie. Is that, did you look it up? Or I just looked you, it up. Okay, fun. I saw that he was in um, A Star is Born, which I saw, and I didn't remember him. So that's kind of fun. Playing a character acting. named Rez Gavrin. Interesting. Yeah, he is English. Oh. Wow. He did a great job. Yeah. He did. All right. All right. Well, let's switch to the fallout from the last episode, of which there is a lot. Let's start with this scene between Adam and Crosby. Should I or should I not tell Christina? 
Well, yeah, of course, tell Christina. She's going to love this story. You can walk her through why you were at her, her place and how soft her lips were and whether or not you got aroused downstairs. And she's probably feeling great about herself right now post-baby, so I think this will go over great. <sighs> but you'll be guilt-free, and then she'll spiral into a dark So you're telling me that depression. I shouldn't tell her? Of course that's what I'm telling you. Look, I tell Christina everything. You should not tell her this. You know, weirdly, I almost feel like Crosby presented a real argument for not telling Christina. Is it selfish if Adam knows it will make her feel terrible, but that he'll feel terrible if he doesn't? The way that Crosby put that, but you'll be guilt-free and she'll spiral into a deep depression. Yeah. I was like, damn, that is a really interesting perspective. <laughs> yeah, even though I don't... I mean, I certainly before that did not think there was really an argument for not telling her. And yet it did it did make me stop and think. What do you think, Mr. Honesty? <laughs> well, I, I do I think that he tell you know, like I think he needs to tell her, of course. I don't I don't think there's any doubt about that. And let you know that I have issues with Crosby from last time. And yeah. I feel like from this and I have seen a few episodes in between walking through the house and whatnot. <laughs> But what, where is that Crosby and who is this new guy? Because this guy is laid back. He's got his shit together. He just looks at his overachieving brother right in the face and just call, like dresses him down. And, you know, wow. I mean, and no, he was absolutely right. I mean, he does it in his kind of childish Crosby kind of way. He oversimplifies it. But what he's the heart of what he's saying is absolutely true. And I think we see later on, he just nails it right there, right? We also know that while Adam might be Mr. Honesty, honesty and selfishness, like the this, you know, Adam sees it from Adam's point of view. He is not seeing it from anybody's point of view, but his and his feelings. He's in his feelings. He's where he is. And that's what got him into this position in the first place. But I'll stop there. We'll, we'll, we'll keep unpacking this. Well, but so do you think there's any way for Adam to tell Christina that isn't selfish? Well, no, because what he did was selfish. Melissa had me watch the episode before this, so I'd have some context, which I'm eternally grateful for. That's an overstatement, but <laughs> very happy for because for all time, because I was like, what the hell are you doing? I mean, don't you know, I, I get taking her home. I get dropping her off and I get watching her go up to the door and go in into the house. I get all that. I think that that is all great. There's no reason for him to get out of that car. There's no reason for him to walk up to the door and, you know. And hug her, which is something I, if I'm correct, it doesn't even come up in their fight. No. Which is not to say, because I have thought over the last week about this, that I, I think maybe I was a little too hard on Adam and even more so, not giving Rachel enough credit. Ultimately, I do think this is her fault. We went on and on about how capable she is, how mature she is. It doesn't matter how she dresses. This is a mature, responsible, reasonable adult. So don't kiss your boss. That is not to say that Adam is blameless. And the hug that he gave her, which I believe had honorable intentions was just inappropriate, and certainly in that moment, and certainly with her being drunk, and he never told Christina that. I'm sure she would have a thought about that, because in some ways you could interpret Rachel's kiss as a response to that. Yeah. I think absolutely. And I think also, let's not talk about what's appropriate. 
or even what's warranted in Adam's actions. But what is, where does the line cross into indulgent? At what point is he indulging in his attraction for her? Even yeah. if he's not planning on it, and even, but does he not want it to happen in a certain way? You know, I mean, he is, he is, it's not spelled out for us. So we have plenty of things to think about of what's going through his mind. I don't think for one moment he wants to cheat on his wife. I don't think that. Um, and I don't think for one moment he really wants her to kiss him. I do think he wants her to be attracted to him. I do think he wants to be relevant in a room where Crosby's always relevant with women. I think that's the one yeah. thing Crosby does that he can't do. And I, I do think that he kind of wants to put on that hat a little bit. And he does. Makes him feel hip. And- yeah, he, he likes that. But at the same time, you always have to go back to what happened. And, and I held Crosby accountable to these standards too. At what point can that kiss not happen? And it's only after he walks her up, really. I mean, she gets out of the car. She doesn't try to kiss him. She even tells him not to walk her up. She tells him twice or three times not to walk her up. He is so condescending. He is so condescending and paternalistic. He drives me fucking crazy with this garbage. Like, he just, he thinks the whole world of safety and welfare and good decision-making lays in his hands. And especially when it comes to women. And we've seen it with his daughter. We've seen it with his wife. We've seen it here with this woman. You know, I mean, it's just, it's something that needs to go with this guy. He needs to let it go. There's this idea that he knows what he's talking about. Nobody else does. He's so condescending to her and to Crosby, but Crosby earned it. This woman (laughs) did not earn it. She is allowed to like Crosby. She's allowed to sit next to Crosby and play the piano. All these things are allowed. It doesn't matter that Crosby slept with Minka Kelly. And now we know that if he would have been in the ring with Minka Kelly, maybe he, she would have kissed him too. And then he would have denied every, you know, any kind of involvement. He should have never gotten out of the car. And I, I just, I, I agree, agree with, with old Caleb who thinks that was really hard <laughs> on Adam. And I, who's this new Caleb? Yeah. No, I'm not reversing my position. No, I just I think I just, it does Rachel it a bit say. of a disservice to act like, well, she had no choice but to kiss him. She knows better. She's a smart person and she's an adult. She knows that wasn't a good thing to do. That's true. Also, if the genders were reversed and a woman was kissed without consent, we wouldn't even entertain the idea that, well, she was sending signals. It's her fault one of these people could have changed one thing to avoid all of this she could have not it was a mistake that they both made but what really gets me is that adam acts 100 blameless he's he's blameless to crosby he's blameless when he talks to rachel he's also blameless when he talks to christina and i think that's the part that makes me so angry i think if he had and, and christina too actually i think if he could have just said i should not have walked her to her door it was yeah. it was a mistake I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking I had to protect her and I opened myself up for this. I didn't intend to lead her on, but I guess I did. If he had said that, I don't think it would have blown up. But what did he say? He said she dressed inappropriately and he was looking out for her. It always goes back to that. Right. Um, And also, if you're looking between those two people, if you look like from their viewpoint, who's signaling more? I don't think she's signaling very much. I think he's giving all the signals. Whether he's meaning to or not, she's misreading. He is outside her door after she told him not to be. He is out in the rain with her drunk. Like, he's the one sending signals that my wife isn't, like, that's not on my mind right now. So it's not on her mind either. They both have plenty of blame. I'm not saying that, but I'm also like, between these, like, there are plenty of decisions. If he's really in control of the situation... 
that thing doesn't end like that. He's not in control of it. He's letting his, you know, his desires or whatever it was get the best of him. And really, obviously, we see this as it unfolds with Christina that the writers knew exactly where they were going with this because Christina dresses him down beautifully and I mean just takes him out and all those targeted questions she makes and I mean it's just it's just a fanciful piece of acting like it's so good (laughs) and we obviously see that they're setting Adam up for the fall here like we're we're seeing some some cracks in his facade I don't think it's his character I don't think he has bad character I think he has bad some ideas that are outdated and and they you know this protectiveness and this thing I mean in the episode before, he continually talks down to the, what's the woman's name? Rachel. Rachel. He continually, and she is obviously in full control of her own agency. She is okay. She knows what she's doing. You know, it's okay if she, she understands that she's working with these men and she understands they're, they're flirting with her and she understands what's going on. He doesn't need to explain it to her. And he is just constantly like, you know, just very traditional and just, it's really irritating. And then going into this episode, it becomes even more irritating because he has shit that he needs to take care of and he's not taking care of it um, for himself. But it it does get taken care of for him, which is good. Well, new question. From Christina's perspective, after he tells her about the kiss, I think it makes total sense that she would expect Rachel to lose her job. But I understand why Adam wouldn't want to fire her. What do you think about that? I think that really what Adam needs to do is look at it as a whole picture, right? And say, okay, first of all, this is a business decision first. I need to talk to Crosby and we need to figure out how we're going to handle this and handle it. And then I'll talk to Christina and, and I can lay it out there as like, I talked to Crosby. This is how we handled it. You know, and obviously in a perfect world, he's going to say, this is where my mistake was. I shouldn't have done that. I have to hold myself accountable. She can't get fired for this. You understand that, right? I mean, that's that's the other direction we would have went, right? I think that really a more of a proactive solution where you handle it as a business decision and then take the family part and you you handle it there because it really is about business at this point. It's not really, I mean, Christina needs to know because I think that's the right thing to do and she needs to know that this happened and she needs to know that if it happens again, that obviously... It's out. But also if, if he he has some accountability for his decision making, I mean, I think she'll feel a little bit better. Like he thought it through and thought about her feelings. He never thought of her feelings. He didn't tell her this because he wanted her to feel better. He told her yeah. this to feel better for himself, yes. which is another thing Crosby nailed. Yeah. So Well, and I forgot that he lied to her throughout this entire episode. Yeah. My memory was that it was like early on in the next episode that he told Christina. But I did not remember that at least a day, if not multiple days go by, in which he's lying to her about several things. I mean, first of all, not telling her about the kiss. And then lying to her that he did fire her when he didn't. Yeah. And that he only comes clean. He comes clean about the kiss, but he doesn't come clean about the firing until he gets caught. And even when he comes clean about the kiss, he doesn't tell the whole story. That doesn't come out until the last fight. Anyway, Melissa, what do you think about does Christina have a right to expect Rachel to be fired? And does Adam have a right not to fire her? I think... It was just so poorly communicated. And I think Mark is absolutely right in that the way Adam tells her, I think, is incredibly selfish. 
It's the two of them alone before bed in a kind of like intimate moment. And he blindsides her. Like it was actually the perfect setting, but he should have said, he should have waited for her to stop speaking about what she was speaking about. First of all, he like interrupts her. And what that was is very selfish. she speaking about? Like losing baby weight. Which is what Crosby said. You're right. I didn't even think I of that. I caught it on the second watch. Oof. I didn't catch it on the That's first That's good. Time. And she's, she's sitting there confiding in her husband, basically, yeah, about how she's trying to lose this baby weight, not feeling good about herself. And he just sits down and says, Rachel, kiss me. This was totally about alleviating his own guilt. You can tell by the way he tells her because he's not softening the blow for her at all. Not by lying, <laughs> which is how he shouldn't soften the blow. He, soften, he should soften it in his manner of delivery. And he should have thought it through that she would have expected Rachel to be fired. I think it is such yeah. an indicator of how he was only thinking about his own feelings that he doesn't think it through to the next step. What's Christina going to want? And so I think he should have been prepared to answer that because he just panics and tells her what she wants to hear. And I think if he had said in that moment, you know, I've been thinking about it and I, I, I did not flirt with her, but I think I, I think there was a miscommunication and she took my paternal concern for interest. And I got to look at that. I'm, I'm sorry. I won't do that again. I've learned, but I, I just don't feel like I can punish her for that. And so I'm going to give her one more chance. I completely understood why Christina was so furious. I don't think it was the kiss so much as the lying that she got fired. That's a betrayal. Yeah. Well, and she even, she makes a joke about it the next day after dinner. She's like, yeah. anyone kiss anyone? Yeah. And you could tell it was not a lighthearted joke, <laughs> but still, I think an indication that if she's making any kind of joke about this, the next day, you're going to get through it just fine. And he's also, he lays it out in his Adam way of, you know, well, I've told you, so I've disclosed it and that's it. And I think that that question to from her to him is another way of saying, like, I have other kind of concerns here. I mean, she might be joking about it, but I think she's also like, no. Why exactly did this kiss happen again? Yeah. You know, like, why, why, where, where are we here? Because he does shut it down. He lingers a bit, I feel like, in that yeah. case. Yeah. Well, I'm realizing even more than I already thought that his side of this all hinges upon him accepting no responsibility. None. None. And like I said, while I don't think he is solely to blame, I certainly don't think he's blameless. And he can't make a case for not firing Rachel unless he's willing to accept a role in what happened. Yeah. And I don't think he is, certainly not in that moment. I think he's like clinging to, I didn't do anything wrong. I think he actually says those words in the fight. He says it like a bunch of times to Christina. He says it to Crosby. And the and the way he presents Christina in this episode bothered me to no end. He told Crosby, well, she overreacted, so we have to fire Rachel. And then he says... I did not flirt with her and you can't say that or she's going to go off the deep end. Like there was so much gaslighting in this episode. He, he was presenting Christina as someone who's unhinged when she had, as she says to him, any other woman would have this reaction. And I'm glad she said that because I think she's right. I think he was trying to gaslight her and that was her way of saying, don't act like I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. You lied. I can't trust you in this moment. Everything we have depends on trust. And you, you know, if you're not going to fire her, don't tell me you are. Explain why you're not before I call yeah. your place of business and feel shocked 
at hearing her voice and feeling betrayed. I get it. And you know, when he initially tells Christina, he also like, you can see, and, and this is, I mean, this is acting. He's such an excellent actor, but the, the weight is off his shoulders and it's just transferred over to her. And then he just, he looks at her. She's upset. He gives her three seconds of being upset, basically. And then he's like, you all right? Fuck you, man. No. You know, like, no, she's not all right. And and I think that you all right, the way he delivers it, it's just like, we're done with this. We're done here. I feel better. <laughs> you know? I, and and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating, realistic, I think, kind of thing. I, but I think that there are a lot of things being hit on in this episode that we see socially, that we see, you know, like, what, what is a good man? How are his actions that good in this? Would it have been worse if he would have cheated? I don't know. He's making everybody feel like shit. He's nearly, <laughs> like, they have a very good worker that they might have to fire, you know, because he made a bad decision that he won't up, own up to. When she tries to talk to him about it, he won't talk to her about it. He uses his power and his authority to shut her down. And that's not right. Yeah. That is that is not okay. She should be able to talk to him about it. She should be able to explain her her side. And maybe maybe what he's afraid of is that she might say, you know, you did kind of signal to me that this was okay. And you might think about that in the future. And maybe that's what he's afraid of hearing because who does he not right. want to be like? Zeke Braverman, oh. how you doing? Oh, no. Which is so funny because all of this just reeks of Zeke. It's like, this is exactly yeah. how Zeke would handle this. And I said a few podcasts ago that I, or maybe it was just the last one. Yeah, it was just the last one because when Adam kept saying, like, I'm going to drive her home even though she doesn't need me to. I'm going to walk her to her door even though she said she doesn't need me to. I'm going to give her a hug to make her feel better. I called it performative magnanimity. It's like he thinks there's some judge watching him. Oh, yeah. And he's going to score points for what a good guy he is. What a good guy am I? I'm driving her home. Look at what a good guy I am. I'm not just driving her home. I'm walking her right to her door. And while it is true that had he done all those things and there not been a kiss, it would have seemed all seemed way less problematic. It still is like, why were you really doing this, though? It just seems like, who are you trying to score points with? Just be a good person, not for the credit that you're going to get for it, yeah. but because it's the right way to be. I think he's so interesting to look at as like almost a social experiment more than a character, if this makes sense, like a sign of the times. Because I keep thinking about how when I watched the show 10 years ago, I just thought Adam was a good guy. And now it's not like I think he's a bad guy. It's not so simple as that. It's more like the 10 years that have passed have been very illuminating in, you know, like, quote unquote, nice guys or things that seem like they're kind, but are really kind of manipulative, manipulative or uh, condescending. It, it really makes me question not just what, who's a good man, but like who's a good person. But masculinity in this society, I mean, it, I feel like Adam really was held up as an example of goodness. And I like to think that the show is exploring that in this episode but maybe it wasn't, and we're just exploring it. You know, I can't tell if the show wants us to think that he is right in this situation or if we're supposed to see that he is supposed to be taking some of the responsibility here and he refuses to. I, I can't tell, you know? I hadn't really fully pinpointed that Adam's conflict is his inability to accept any responsibility. That's really what it is. Until we had this conversation. But I think that is in the show, although I don't think the show is 
making it very pronounced. But I think by the way Christina yeah. handles it, and to some degree Crosby, yeah. I think they are aware of it. I, I think too, like some, and this is just me personally thinking about this situation, because for a while now I've thought about this idea, and I've heard it even floated around, this idea of, of what you, like the attributes that you pick up along your life for survival, right? Especially when you're in like dangerous situations, like these attributes that we pick up. And I read this about my students and things like this too, but, it, but I think it goes with adults um, and follows us our whole lives that things that we use in certain aspects of our life to survive as we move on through our life and hopefully our lives get better and more stable, those things can disrupt our lives greatly. So let's put that idea on Adam and the idea that for him to be a great husband he doesn't cheat on his wife like Zeke. He doesn't, you know, do these things. But at the same time, he's going to have to look at this as like, yeah, but you're not perfect and you made some bad decisions here. But he doesn't want to see those because he doesn't want to be like Crosby or Zeke. He, he, you know, it's very important for him to be Adam because this is what's gotten him here. And this is his reckoning, right? Like this is, this character is coming to a crossroads of Zeke and Crosby are better now you know, you, you need to kind of maybe unpack some of these things that you're dealing with because you're no longer getting by in your life just comparing yourself to your brother who was an eternal fuck up and your father who was, you know, these things. And so they're, they're kind of getting level with you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, well, and, and it's occurring to me now, Adam was concerned about hiring Rachel because he thought there would be a problem with Crosby. And rightfully so. And I'm sure that the like psychic weight of no, I'm the one that ended up having a problem with Rachel. How could I have let this happen? I'm the screw up and Crosby was responsible. Yeah. And Crosby said that because Crosby yeah. is a seer in this episode. <laughs> um, I mean, Crosby just like in like five lines takes down everything that Adam stands for and just flips it on its head. It's fantastic. I have to admit his reaction at the top of the episode did make me laugh. It's very inappropriate, but though he's like, Christmas come early and you know, I'm elated right now. <laughs> like I did sort of enjoy that aspect. I mean, yeah, I felt bad. But. I don't, if Crosby thought that his brother's marriage was on the rocks here, he would not have had that reaction. No. Crosby's right. like, you got this thing under the, you know, like you've, you're Adam, yeah. you're always going to come out clean. You have a great relationship. You're, it's going to be fine. Like there, there is a piece there. It's not like he's, he would never, you know, if he if he thought that Adam had really done something wrong or if something was really going to be terminal to this relationship, I don't think that his attitude would have been that way. So that kind of shows you how much trust he has in Adam, too, and what Adam has built, right? Because he has done yeah. a lot of great things. And this is just, for this particular character, I love the magnifying glass on him. And I love that we just keep getting closer and closer and closer to his big problem. And I love the fact that he's not seeing it. I mean, as, as a viewer, I mean, if I was... Or refusing in, to see it. Or refusing wow. to see it, yeah. Good distinction. And, and I think I see why he's not seeing it. I think I kind of explained that, you know, or refusing to see it. Because I think it, he thinks it would reveal something that yeah. would make him like the people that it he... It would topple his own conception of himself. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, well, Did I just say his self? Well, that was good. It would topple his profound. own conception of his soul. <laughs> Doesn't matter how you say it, Caleb. It's yeah. genius. Profundity knows no grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, actually. I think that's true. So one thing that I noticed too in the in the scene where Landon Pig is playing and Crosby and Adam are perhaps being terrible producers, as they always are. <laughs> <They're> just talking <laughs> to each other. Definitely being terrible producers. <laughs> 
I really liked what Crosby said about... Well, it doesn't seem right that to clean up your side of the street, you've got to dump all over hers. I just don't feel like that's right. I really thought Crosby was not just being selfish, like, oh, I like this worker and now we have to go find another one. I felt like he really saw her as a human being in a way that maybe... Adam almost doesn't. I don't know. Certainly by that point, Adam, I think, is just operating out of desperation. Yeah. Well, we have to throw her under the bus now because there's no other way I can keep the peace. Right. That's so selfish. You know, I mean, it's not about Christina's feelings. It's about this is just going to make my life at home a lot easier. You know, it's not like he's not doing the right thing, I don't think. And I like that Crosby sees her as a person and is like, I don't think this is fair, you know? And, And I do think that Adam was right to give her another chance i think that's the right way to do this you 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 say this can't happen again but you know as long as we understand that it'll be fine you know i just don't like the way he talks down to her even in that speech he scolds her like a child kind of and and the way she says thank you after he doesn't fire her i was like like she's groveling yeah and i mean it would make sense to thank a person for giving you another chance but something about the whole exchange felt really awful to me. Like he was just wielding his power. Like now we'll talk about it because I'm ready to talk about it before when you tried to, I wanted to know what she was going to say before when she brought it up. And honestly, if he had let her speak, I mean, I'm assuming a whole bunch right here, but my read on her performance in the last episode was that she was embarrassed by the kiss that she immediately felt like either that was the wrong thing to do or whoa, I misread what was happening here or something. I feel like that's what she would have said. Like, Adam, I'm so embarrassed about what happened the other night. I want you to know that it's not going to happen again. And it won't affect, I mean, just my sense of who Rachel is, how much she wanted this job and was happy to have it. Yeah. I don't think she was going to be like, I love you. I don't care that no. you're married. You know? When I don't he's think like, was... no, I love my yeah. wife. <laughs> She's been and... asking you to run away with her. Yeah. And if he had just heard her out, he might have been like, well, that's music to my ears. Because now I can go to Christina and say, Rachel's humiliated. She doesn't want to. She was falling over. This isn't going to happen again. Yeah. It makes me more and more angry. <laughs> The more I think about it. He comes at it from such an egotistical angle from the very beginning, from the I love my wife garbage, the hot, hot garbage that is that statement. And he does. He just just continues. Like It's like his assumption is that she is going to, you know, she's expecting him to drop everything for her and that he's in love with her, where she could be seeing it like whatever. I mean, who knows? We never know what she thinks. Um, And it continues that way. It's just continually from his perspective of he is the center of this universe and he's not, he's simply an actor. And I think too, that what I love about Crosby is I feel like, and maybe I'm missing something. I feel like everything Crosby says to Adam is really from the perspective of everybody else. He's really advocating for everybody else. While Adam just continues to advocate for Adam, Adam, the Kate, Adam, Adam, Kate, Anyway, um, he just continues to do this and, and Crosby just gets more sage as the episode goes on. I mean, he's just like, nah, you're, you're the dick. You know I mean? He just keeps it with it and they need that. I mean, these women that are dealing with Adam right now need an advocate because he's not even giving them a voice. He is completely sucking the air out of the room with his ego and his garbage. It's, it's just a really, yeah, I don't. So the question I asked myself is. Is Adam being a bad husband without doing what's considered, and I think in his book, the ultimate sin, but for a lot of people, the ultimate sin in a, in a marriage would be cheating. 
So is he still being a really terrible husband in this moment, even though he didn't cheat? And yes, he's being awful, right? He's not really upholding his his side of the bargain at all. I mean, it's all about him. He's making everybody feel like crap. Everybody is having to bend over to, to save him, <laughs> save themselves from his decisions. He's making horrible decisions and refuses to take any responsibility for him. So what a great job um, as far as to dress down a character a little bit without ruining the character, you know, giving you a chance to build on this character and make him a better character. I don't know what happens, but you have a chance here. And I'm, I'm guessing from what Christina's doing, you're building on their whole storyline and everything with just this really cerebral takedown of a character that would be hard to do. You don't really want, you know, I mean... Yeah, He deserves it, but they put him in a situation where he can still come out okay, but you can really look at, take a deep dive into his character in these couple of episodes here and, and see where the holes are. Should we listen to part of it? Sure. That? Here's part of their fight. And I, I want to say one thing before we even listen to it. I, I loved this fight, and it, it sounds like we all did. One of the things I liked about it is that it felt kind of chaotic and haphazard. It didn't feel like it really went from one topic to another all that logically, which to me, it made it feel like it wasn't written. I was like, were they improvising this? And who knows? Maybe it was a blend of scripted and improvised. Maybe it was all scripted. Who knows? But I felt like it lacked some structure and artistry that like, a really well-written scene would have had, but then it had this authenticity that made it feel really out of control. And when Adam then was trying to scramble, like, how do I stop this? How do I like stop the bleeding? It felt so real. It really felt like a documentary. Like, oh, someone was just in their house and had a camera. Anyway, okay. I tried to fire her, okay? I couldn't. Just let me finish, all right? I'm listening. They were drinking. Okay, I didn't want another Gabby situation on my hand. It was raining outside. I wanted to take, I thought the right thing to do was to take the young girl home. She was drunk. Did you get out of the car? Yes, I did. I got out of the car. I walked her to her door. You walked her to her door. She's 26 years old. It doesn't matter if it's raining. What is she going to slip She lives in a dodgy neighborhood. I was trying to do the right thing. This is ridiculous. I I didn't do anything. You kissed another woman. We've been married I didn't kiss another woman. She kissed me, Christina. Listen to me. Okay? She kissed me, okay? I stopped the kiss. I came home. Christina. Are you attracted to her? No, I am not attracted to her. Adam, tell me the truth. Are you attracted to her? What do you want me to say, Christina? She's an attractive girl, okay? I, I didn't want Yes, to... I find her attractive. I don't want a relationship with her. I didn't pursue her. I didn't kiss her. I didn't do anything. <laughs> Are you attracted to me? Yes, Christina, uh, no, of course I'm attracted to you. Don't touch come me, here, please don't touch please, me. I just can't. Come here? This is how we become one of the 80%. No, no, no. How we become one of the 80% is by not. I don't want you Christina. to touch me right now. Okay? You're making this really difficult. I'm not. Out of any other woman would say the same thing right now. Christina, she kissed me. I told you about it. You asked me to fire her. I tried to fire her. I couldn't go through with it. I felt like her feelings were hurt. And her then... feelings were hurt. Oh, God, I'm so happy that you care so much about her feelings. 
Christina, can I'm you stay done. in the room? I've done everything. Can you stay in the room? I'm every single down. time you need support. Can you stay in the room, please, anything. so we can talk about I'm it? I'm home every single day, making the kids' calendars. I know. Doing the cleaning, the cooking, everything. I'm Mrs. Braverman. I have my husband's back, always. Not anymore. Christina. Done. We've talked so much about Adam in that. In some ways, I did not think that Christina was really behaving logically for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But I totally bought it. And I, and I still think she was making great points. But, you know, she's been lied to over the course of, like I was saying, at least a day, maybe more. And then she's had hours since she found out that Adam lied to her just to stew about it. And we know that Christina catastrophizes. So it did not feel out of character. Like, her anger level did not feel out of character or out of proportion to me. And I was kind of surprised that Adam didn't know how to handle her any better. Like, that they've been married for so long. I felt like he was doing everything wrong. He kept trying to touch her when she clearly didn't want to be. And that has come up before. Like, I remember after they told Max about his autism, Adam tried to comfort her and she was like, don't touch me. I'm not mad at you. Just don't touch me. And there have been a few other times where, like, Christina doesn't like to be touched when she's really in the thick of something. And he kept trying to respond to every single comment she would make, even when she was just kind of, like, word vomiting, which to me made the conversation feel like it was going in circles. And then saying things like, you're making this really difficult. Yeah. That's not going to help. No. And then at the end, that for me was Christina at her most cogent and most heart-wrenching. That she has this like moment of self-awareness. Like, I'm aware of the role that I play. I'm Mrs. Braverman. We're always in lockstep. And I always have your back. That to me felt like the subtext there was, you humiliated me. Yeah. You treating me this way when I am always so devoted and such a supporter of you makes me look like a fool. How dare you? And I relate to that. I mean, not that I've been cheated on, but don't make a fool out of me. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I really feel for her. I wonder if Adam's a little shook too, because I mean, obviously this is deliberate, but everything that Christina is saying, Crosby's already told him. Crosby, in so many words, just dressed him down and let him know this is what's going to happen. This is why you shouldn't do it. And then it happens. And yeah. has Crosby ever been right? I mean, like this, like, has Adam ever been on that weaker side of things to where he's the one making the bad choices? I mean, he punched a guy in the grocery store. He's done some things, right? But like in this situation where he really hangs his hat, he's in the weak spot. He's on the other side of things. And he doesn't have any, any leg to stand on at this point. His only leg to stand on is his honesty. And his honesty could have waited, you know, because the selfishness overcame his honesty, really, is what happened here. It, it masked yeah. itself as honesty. So that's that's an interesting thing for me to think about is, like, he is taken aback. He is. I, and, and maybe I don't know if he's understanding he's wrong. But, you know, when you're really wrong about something, sometimes it is hard to do to listen. He's just so defensive because I think I think, you know, it, it's catching up with him that this relatively minor mistake that has turned into a major issue yeah. Um, it has happened and it was his fault and you know or he at least has some degree of responsibility in it and though he's trying to ignore it and pass it off on Crosby how many times does he say well Crosby thought we shouldn't fire Crosby mm-hmm. Crosby Crosby and she just does not 
accept it, you know, and that's fantastic. Because he does that to Christina too, to Crosby. He's like, well, we have to fire her, Christina says, you know. Yeah. He doesn't take responsibility for any part of the kiss or any part of the fallout. And I think part of the reason that it blows up the way it does is his objective is is truly not to comfort his wife or make her feel better. He may think it is, but it isn't. It is to, yeah, remain completely blameless. Assuage his own, yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, Caleb, something you said earlier that I thought was interesting was that she is a little, like, I don't want to use the word irrational, but, like, not everything she says totally makes sense in this episode. Yeah, like scatter. Yeah, How she's scatters. going from one thing to another. But I think it really is because it is no longer really about the kiss. Yeah, it is about that betrayal and, and her like kind of reckoning with the fact that she's not sure she trusts the person she's married to. And I'm thinking Adam is like, how did this happen? This is it's so blown out of proportion. And so I think he keeps trying to make it something small. But I think if he just looked inward, it would diffuse so much of this and he just refuses to. And so, and, and, you know, we were talking earlier about how like interesting it is when you look at relationships on this show and which ones are more traditional. And we were talking about like Troy and Zoe and, and Troy was kind of the, the, you know, the boss, like, let's go, we're leaving. I thought it was fascinating that Christina's like response to all this is to say, I'm going back to work. And I feel like a lot of people would be like, cool, honey, whatever you want to do. Adam looks so pissed off. And I'm sure it's because maybe he thinks, well, this is a power play. But it's like, can't you see beyond that for a moment to see that she is at her most insecure and you kissed another woman, what, what, you know, whatever, but you did, and then lied to her about it. She needs to feel like herself again. Her role as Mrs. Braverman is not cutting it right now because right. of you. And so she needs to do something that is going to build up her confidence. And that will in turn eventually, Adam, help you because your wife will be herself again and will be able to, I think, take these sorts of things like you having a really attractive coworker more in stride and it won't bump her so much. But all Adam can see, like you can tell by the look on his face when he's, and I get it. She says it like, I'm going back to work and I don't want to have a conversation. Not now. I guess I could see where that would be upsetting. Like this should be a conversation, but he's always been like this about her work. I feel like, like the beginning of the season. And she said that she got promoted and she was, he like lost his mind. <laughs> he was like, yeah. you should have talked to me about and that. And he was unemployed at the yeah. time. <laughs> and she was trying to get them some more money. And he was like, I'm the breadwinner. I'm supposed to do this. And so he, I think took that as her like retaliating, which shows me you don't really have a great sense of, what she partnership needs. partnership that's the perfect word yeah yeah i i also didn't love that like the decision was just hers and it felt like payback but i love the idea of her going back to work i'm like great and also you're right he should if that's the fallout of their fight he should thank his lucky stars because i think implicit in that is we will get through this yeah i'm gonna go back to work we are going to remain married. Yeah. Not that the fight I think was ever that huge, but it's like, she's telling you I'm sticking around. We'll get through it, but here's my terms. Yeah. I think so too. I think she's saying, I accept that you didn't mean for this to happen. I I think that she accepts his version of the story, but what she's saying is 
the trust that I had in you and the trust that you're going to come forward and take your responsibility for your actions is not happening. So I have to take responsibility now and I have to take this back. And I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of, um, the character, the guy who plays Adam, Peter Krause, Peter Krause. Um, (laughs) but man, you just watch the control like his it just seeps out of his being and and this guy who needs so much control and he's losing it and just his face and just realizing like i'm up against a wall now i can and yes he's mad and yes he shuts the door you know like (laughs) or whatever but you know there's not anything he can do about it nor should he be able to and it really shouldn't come to this for her to decide when she wants to go back to work I mean, it really shouldn't be about because you jacked around the mess, you know, and, and you won't take responsibility. And now I've got to take control here. Like, it really shouldn't have ever been that. Yeah. And, and I also I feel like I saw some understanding on his face, like some understanding of, yeah, you know, I kind of made this bed here. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just I don't I feel like I saw that there. And her wrath is so good. I mean, it's just so well delivered and clear cut. Yeah. And we talk about how concise it is. And, and yeah, there's some jumping around, but mostly it's just hard hitting and, and great. And it, it draws out that in Adam as well. I mean, it, it's just, it's a great scene. And and it's a different kind of great scene than some of the other scenes I've seen in this show. Yeah. But it, it's great. And I think that she has full control here, it, it, even in her lack of control. She's handling it the right way. I really do think that. I think that she's not being unfair. I think she's seeing it pretty much clearly and she's handling it. like. And I think that she knows that his weakness is he doesn't want her to go back to work. He wants part of his existence is to be the breadwinner and that that to use it again, paternalistic idea that this is, this is why I'm my lot in life, you know, and she knows that's where to hit him, right? <laughs> that's where you took my confidence away. Now sit in the seat Ooh. for a while and feel this and enjoy it and find another yeah. way to feel confident. Cause I've had to do that. And I just did it. Now it's your turn. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. good. And then I'll just end it with my last note was, you know, and, and I think we maybe talked about this before in the last episode that I did um, just about, you know, I, I let my daddy issues come out and float around. Maybe this reckoning of his selfishness, this two episode reckoning. And I know there's more than that where his selfishness and bullshit come into play, but is exactly what will keep him from becoming Zeke. This is th- these kind of moments where people are calling him out. And people are holding him accountable for his behavior, whether or not he's holding him accountable, keep him from being in total control and eventually making really poor decisions because he makes horrible decisions here, but everybody else's sanity kind of keeps him afloat. He can make worse decisions later on, but this might keep him from doing it. Like if he were a real person, I don't know. I think so. I think it's a very humil- like humbling moment for him. Um, or yeah. it should be. And I, and I think these, these moments in life are so important to all of us to be open to them, to kind of like reflect. And I think, I think he's to the point of reflection by the time he shuts the bathroom door. I think that he's gotten enough from Crosby and Christina that he's seeing. Yeah. Yeah. He's not happy about it. He doesn't love it. I do agree that I think it's starting to take root uh, in his brain a little. I think so. And Mark mentioning Zeke right there reminds me of how Camille has said, you know, that Zeke would swallow up all the the air in the room, you know, and and 
how she felt being maybe the original Mrs. Braverman. I think the last thing Adam would have ever wanted to do is make his wife feel like his mom has felt. And that is what he has done. And maybe that is part of what he's really grappling with. You know, I mean, we talked about how he doesn't want to be like his dad. But I mean, remember when he finds out that Zeke cheated on Camille, like season one, I think. He like, his response is to sit Christina down and say, uh, cheating isn't hereditary. <laughs> and, and Christina's like, I know that. <laughs> like, what a weird thing to tell me. But here we are two seasons later. And yeah, again, he hasn't cheated on her. But maybe, maybe I've been a little harsh. <laughs> maybe part of this isn't just because Christina overreacted or Christina will, you know, lose it. Maybe he's masking this, like, I can't make my wife feel this way. But for whatever reason, he cannot articulate that. And so instead, he phrases it, you know, in these in these ways that are gaslighty, and I don't like them, and it makes her sound irrational when she's perfectly rational. You know what I mean? It's, it's like he can't, yeah. yeah. Although I think we've all been fair to Adam. Like, I don't think any of us have insinuated that he did any of this out of malice. No. As is pretty much always the case with Adam, I think it's always well-intentioned and trying to do the right thing, but just having blind spots and falling into traps that he maybe doesn't even realize are there. But I think the problem here was that he fell into one and then he's like, I'm not in a trap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that trap hits really close to home for him. You know, that letting his ego kind of, kind of letting that attention of a woman kind of dictate his night and ruin a situation or or mess up a situation, I think hits pretty close to home for him. And and that's hard for him to look at. Yeah. And Camille said in season one that she thought Zeke cheated on her because she sort of disappeared. He couldn't see her anymore. And I thought you saying that just now about Camille made me think, that puts a spin on Christina's choice at the end of this episode to say, like, you will see me. Yeah. I insist on Dang. it, even if I have to go run a campaign to get you to see me as a person unto myself again, then that's what I'll do. And maybe she needs to see herself that way, too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was also a deleted scene Ooh. from this episode that wasn't Drew searching for extracurriculars. <laughs> this is not the whole scene, but this provides some context for Christina's decision. I think this would have come very early in the episode. Okay. I wanted to talk to you about something. Do you remember Robert Little? Little Bobby, Bobby Little? Little? Bobby Little. Little Bobby Little? Call him Little Bobby yeah, Little. Him. Yeah, he's running for city council. And he actually called me to run his campaign. And um, I think that I really want to do it. I know we have Hattie applying to colleges still, and I have a lot on my plate, and so do you. Got Max, of course. I don't want you to. People do have children and go back to work. I'm not supportive of you because I am. I want you to have the opportunity to go back to work. I know how important that when is to you. I just don't up, think this is a good time. When this came up two years ago, I put it off. Okay, Adam, I'm really good at this. I can do this, and I want to do this. Okay. I may not have this opportunity again. Christina, you're and great at this. You're going to have so many other opportunities. So I really this think that I want to do it, okay? Have. If I choose this, I'm running his campaign. If he wins, this is a huge job for me. I need some time to think about it, okay? Can you give me that? I can give you some time. Thank you. How shocking that Adam needs something. <laughs> and this is wow. this is while he's still lying to her about Rachel. Yeah, I think that scene should have stayed in there. Yeah, I yeah. Think so this too. scene took place at the luncheonette, and afterwards, Rachel comes in 
and Christina compliments her shoes and Rachel tells her where she got them. And then it's it's a little late on thick because then Rachel leaves and Christina's like, you know, I think I really misjudged her. She's really nice. And Adam's like, yeah, she is nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I love just the little, the it would have showed that Christina's decision to go back to work was not so out of left field. Yeah. And yeah. not purely out of spite, but that it was something that had come up. So instead of, hey, I know I'm a stay-at-home mom and now I'm going to go back to work. It was, remember that thing I was going to give you time on? Time's up. Yeah. Yeah. And he continues. And then this is a trend I'm seeing him do where he continues to second guess what he is telling her how she, you know, really the reality. Like when she says how she sees things and then he's reiterating what she already knows and she understands and he's saying his side of it and then he's just presenting that as that's it. And it doesn't, it's not much different than the talk he had with the receptionist or whatever she is um, about her clothes choice or about, you know, it's about what he has to say and nothing else. And that's the most important part. And the idea that he's saying this while he's knowingly lying to her is so illuminating in this issue that he's having and what he needs to rectify. So that's, that's a great scene. I'm glad that I get to hear that because it really makes me more pissed off at Adam. What a (laughs) dick. (laughs) And, you know, I'm actually kind of shocked that since it was in the middle of the lie, it might have made more sense for him to be, like, uber supportive. Yeah. To try and, like, well, I'm going to give her whatever she wants because I know that I'm really kind of screwing her over. But that would have been a bit of acceptance. I I think he was really rejecting any kind of responsibility. So I think if he would have said that, it would have been like, yeah, I'm accepting my role. He doesn't accept it. So she takes it right out of his hands and he shuts the damn door. I mean, that's that the shutting of the door is the acceptance to me. You know, that's the, okay, oops type of situation. But his choice is to deflect and deny that this is the path he's taken. It's a very popular path right now. Um, I know this is an older episode, but still, it, 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 yeah. maybe that's what kind of upsets me too, is I feel like I see that around me everywhere. And um, maybe we just start accepting, you know, what roles we can take to make some, some positive change and what they, you know, that we're human and we're going to make mistakes and other people are too. And it's okay. Yeah. We don't have to use it as sound bites. We don't have to make, you know, it's not so bad. Most people do mean well anyway. One little tidbit I want to throw in Alexandra Daddario was really playing the piano. I wondered that. That's cool. I noticed that they showed her face and then panned down to her hands. And I was like, that seems like the show saying she really can play. Yeah, I was on high alert to see once they did that. I was like, oh, are her fingers on the right keys? They absolutely were. She was playing Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata for anyone who doesn't know that piece. And I then looked it up. And she did a little interview with Marie Claire years ago where she said that she started taking piano lessons when she was nine years old. And she said that all the money her mom spent on lessons paid off when she got to play the Moonlight Sonata on Parenthood. Oh. And you can go on YouTube and actually see videos of her playing the piano. That's awesome. Various places, like just for fun. It does seem like they didn't necessarily have to have her play the piano for that scene, you know, to take place. So it kind of seemed to me like it was just a little way to showcase an actress who had this talent. Yeah. Yeah. And she played for quite a while. Yeah. It was not like, oh, five seconds we're playing. Yeah. She played for a good half Although her playing that did set an interesting, like, mood 
and it was Adam watching her for a while and I could not tell how to read that. I was like, is he just not wanting to interrupt her or is he just really nervous about this conversation or is the show really trying to kind of hammer home his attraction to her? And now like Caleb, you've pointed this out before how attractive skills are to people. And you had said like, like when, when Gabby talks to amazing Andy and Mark's last episode here, you know how that was probably very attractive to Crosby. And I'm like, is this attractive to Adam? You know, like, I think it was his... attractive to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting. And it was just so dramatic. Yeah. That's such a dramatic piece anyway. And it yeah. leads out from, you know, the a Crosby scene with Jabbar and how he's just handling it so well with his, you know, he's, he's on fire right now. Yeah. He's this is a good episode yeah. for Crosby. Crosby's batting well. a thousand. And then it just like, <laughs> so you have this, like, it was cool how like that music was like, oh, sad Jabbar, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes into this, like, kind of, <laughs> like, leering yeah. kind of, like, this deception, you know? And, and uh, I'm... I- I don't think Adam's character is ever going to be leery and as leery and deceptual, deceptive and, and things like that as he was here. But it was just really fitting because it felt like an affair was about to happen or something or he was going to murder <laughs> yeah. her to cover up an affair. It's and, a very uh, dramatic song. It's so dramatic. I don't know. I mean, you're the piano player. I don't know. But it just it's just a very dramatic, you know, and just the way it goes in. Um, but it was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, Melissa, you said this already, but the artist that Adam and Crosby are working with is Landon Pig. He was Mae Whitman's boyfriend at the time. And it's also his song that's playing over Amber's work montage. I looked that up. At the beginning of the episode. That's so cute. Like, how nice. And I liked his character. I liked that they were sure to call him Landon. So like couple I lo- times. Yeah, a couple yeah. of times. Like in case anyone knew that Mae Whitman's boyfriend was a musician named Landon Pig, this is him. You know, it almost felt like a signaling, but in a very natural way. And I thought he was kind of adorable because he was just playing. And unlike Artie Party, he didn't get all pissed off when Adam and Crosby were bad at their jobs and were arguing <laughs> instead of paying attention to him. Instead, he just had this real happy smile on his face. And I imagined a whole life for him in that moment that the show doesn't explore. But, you know, it's like he's, he's really just thinking, wow, I'm recording in a real studio. This is great. And it has nothing to do with anything. But I, I loved that. I thought it was a cute moment. What did you guys think of Amber's little storylineette, which is a term that Melissa coined a few episodes ago? I like that. So yeah. Storylineette. I, I will say I loved it, even though one could probably argue that it was boring and that there wasn't like enough conflict and who cares. I'm a real fan of realistic stuff. And I'm like, that's one of the most realistic things we've ever seen on this show. Who has not been there? Yeah. And when she's like, I can't seem to make it all add up. I'm like, well, of course not. You work part-time at a coffee shop and you live alone. You have no roommate in this very cool loft in Berkeley. In Berkeley. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I do, I mean, again, I'm out of touch with the television shows and the kids and whatnot, but does it, does college life really depict it? I mean, it, it, it usually kind of removes the money. I mean, they'll have they'll have jobs at coffee shops and they'll live in a loft, but you really don't see the poverty <laughs> that right. co- college life really Once entails. She's not even in college. She's older. Yeah. Well, but still, so, you know, so, yeah, I mean yeah. that that still that type of situation. Yeah, I don't think like, you, I don't think shows I, I don't think shows address money nearly as much as it comes up in life. Oh yeah. sure, yeah. And um, I mean, I remember even just when Amber moved in soon after she moved into this apartment where she is, 
I commented, why does she have so much stuff in there? I thought she had too much stuff. I'm like, I didn't have any stuff when I moved into my first place. And I was going to like a major university, but I was scrimping and, you know, and I feel like that's most people. You don't have stuff when you're living on your own and you're 19. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I thought it. I thought it was like a, her car stalling. Oh, so oh stressful. God, that was like such a nightmare. And it was really, me. yeah. I what mean, it, it kind of captured just how infuriating and and humiliating that is, too. It didn't really take off anything on that. But, you know, in those coffees, like a coffee shop job is so romantic in a movie. But like in real life, it's not. I it mean, pays nothing. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. So yeah. I liked that you got to see yeah, the not romantic parts like. Like everything she did looked awful in that montage. You know, she like kind of burned her hand a little and it was like yeah. no one was tipping. When she dropped the coffee, I was like, I visibly shook. I was yeah. shook because I was like, oh, you know, I mean, it was a little bit dangerous. It was yeah. a little bit, you know, kind of got that. Yeah. What did you guys think of Camille's response to Amber in this scene? This is terribly embarrassing. I feel ashamed to have to ask and... Just know that I would only ask if I really, really needed it. Um, I'm having a bit of money trouble. I just can't make it all add up and... How much? Well, the sort of emergency number is about 140, uh, but I could, you know... How much do you really need? It's a big number. It's about $400. I know, it's a lot. I don't even know where it's going. You know, gas money and nobody tips anymore and food and rent and I'm just trying to make it. I'm doing everything that I can, but it's not quite balanced yet. And I promise you, I will pay you back. I promise. I'm stuck though. Well, you know, I been in this situation myself more than a couple of times so tell you what I'm gonna do I'm gonna lend you the $400 okay but it's a one-time thing yes I know of course. that you're working very hard but it's not cutting it so <laughs> obviously really... you're gonna have to figure something else out yeah and you're a smart girl you will Thank you so much. I really liked it. It reminded me of this organization, I guess, at our old hometown, Pittsburgh. It's called Women Helping Women. It's like a fairy godmother kind of thing. Anyway, <laughs> what they do is women can apply for a one-time payment of like $500. And so it's like you get a gift mm. of $500 and it's to help you if you need new tires or, you know, all, all kinds of things. But all these studies show like how sometimes like a one-time gift like that can make all the difference of you like getting back on your feet. And it's it's not the same thing as like welfare because you have this understanding that it is just the one time. And actually that would be the only thing. I kind of thought she should maybe just give her the money but say this is never happening again. Because, you know, if, if now she has to pay her grandmother back $400 and make rent, you know, I'm like, oh, she's just never going to dig herself out of this. That being said, I don't mean to tell Camille, give your daughter hundreds of dollars. But, you know, I just thought, well, if you're if you're going to help her out, and she obviously needs to do something different, but I wouldn't make a regular thing of it because if she can't afford to live there, then she should do something else. 
But I, I did think the way she handled that was very kind and, you know, gave her her dignity. She was obvious. I love that she like got dressed up to go talk to her grandmother, <laughs> you know, and that yeah. she was so respectful. And I don't get the sense she's going to do this all the time. You know, she and Drew grew up with not a lot of money and and they're definitely not like spoiled. She's certainly not blowing it on ridiculous things. So Well, she is apparently still smoking. I did notice that. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say that that scene... You know, I mean, you do see this montage, this Rocky-like montage of her <laughs> life falling apart and she being a blue-collar worker. But also, yeah, you do see when the landlord comes that she's smoking on her couch. And, you know, like, it's not like she's... I don't think she's working as much as she thinks she is. Or, you know, that money comes from somewhere. And there's, you know, there's some other things. But I kind of thought, I mean, and maybe I'm I'm kind of looking at it from my own perspective, but I'm like, okay, first of all, $400 isn't too bad, especially if you have the resources, you know, like they're resourceful people. They have money. They, they $400 is not going to be a lot for her, but she, she's kind of like does the little gasp and, you know, and just, just feeds it in like, oh, this is a big deal. But I mean, I'm feeling like I would be pretty relieved like oh, $400 we can, you know, and then we can just check your budget and maybe get this thing under control and get you in the right direction. Like, great. Isn't it cheap? You know? <laughs> isn't it actually kind of sweet how Amber's like, it's a big number. Yeah. It's about and see, and I actually kind of appreciated that she framed it that way because I think that to most people, 400 is a big number. I guess that's true. Although I, I do have big questions about Zeke and Camille's finances in general, though. I don't know because that they it have was a ton of money. Yeah. It was a big story point in season one that they were in bad shape financially. Oh, okay. But I guess I look at they their do house. still have. <laughs> yeah, they do still live in that house. They could have easily downsized by selling yeah, that house. Yeah, neither of them have jobs, and I just it everything else says they're fine. Four hundred dollars wouldn't be much to them. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm thinking of that scene where you know Zeke was like shouting after Camille, "Don't give Sarah any money for like Seth's rehab." And Camille's response was, I don't have any money. And we we questioned that at the time. We're like, does she really not have any money? Or is she just like snapping back at Zeke? Or was that a, an insult to Zeke? Because you, you blew all our money, you know? <laughs> right. But yeah, it, do, it, it does make me wonder, like, maybe it is a big deal to her. But it felt, while well, Mark and I were watching it, like, oh, it's real sweet that Amber thinks that's a lot of money well, and I, yeah. compared to her. I guess in my perspective, too, like some of the financial issues I had when I was that age... $400, I mean, it's not that I was insignificant, like, but I was lucky enough to have people around me that could could help me. Um, and there were, it was more than 400 at times, you know, and, and yeah. sometimes it was beyond my control. I mean, everything is within your control once you retroactively go back and look at the money you blew that you shouldn't have blown. But when you just look at it in the now and say, well, I, yeah, I really didn't expect to have to pay $500 for these tires or, you know, whatever it is that kept you from paying rent and you need some help. But I think that $400, I mean, you know, when you look at credit card debt and the average credit card debt in the United States and all these different things, like $400 is, you can rectify that pretty quickly, especially if yeah. there's no interest compounding on it, especially if there's no violence associated with it or legal issues. It's just like, let's just pay this. You have a place to stay for a month and then you can figure it out. And I don't mean to be detached from reality by saying $400 isn't a lot of money, I do remember when $400 was, I mean, $400 is of course still a lot of money to me, but it's not as much as it was when I was 20. 
I, I will say that. Now. Yeah, you know, it, it's not it's not like gonna be the end of the world now. Where and I remember when it was. Well, so, that's what poverty is, right? Like, and that's like that's interesting that this storyline is in the same episode as Troy and Zoe with mm, their minimum ooh, wage jobs nice. as well. Yeah, and like I did take note on my second watch. I was like, maybe Amber should donate an egg. Yeah. <laughs> get the 30k yeah, and solve all those problems oh, that's yeah that's good I, I didn't make that connection i didn't really appreciate sarah's attempt to help amber because it didn't seem like did she seriously think that was the best way to help amber financially it's like overwhelming her with all these terms and right and when like amber, amber was right that's for people who have more of a plan but but then i was a little frustrated because like well yeah you don't have a plan so Actually, I think your problem is easier to solve. You don't need a spreadsheet about your social security or your 401k or any of that. Just write it down for yourself. What do you make and what do you spend money on? They probably just had that seat in there so that they could acknowledge that they've never properly known how to pronounce Susie or Suze when it's smelled as <laughs> Yes. <laughs> because did you know that Marcus Suze Lessing is Christina's friend and they used to call her Suze and then they started calling her Susie and we were like, what the hell? So, well, although I even looked up Suze Orman and there was a video with her where she said most people don't know what they're bringing in or what they're spending their money on. And I thought, wow, I mean, that's pretty fundamental, but that's exactly Amber's problem in that scene. Sarah asks her what her rent is, and Amber says, I don't know. I was like, that's not true, because you knew you were $140 short. So I get that in this moment, she's maybe just drowning a little bit. I thought she was overwhelmed by the line of questioning, and she was so used to saying, I don't know. Right. But it's like, that's what you need to figure out. And like, she doesn't know what she makes. She's like, yes, you do. Although that probably varies. Right? Like depending well, you know, on her with tips, hours probably. And tips. But she would know what her hourly rate is. And I think she could figure out what's the minimum number of hours you're going to have in any given week. Write that down. And I don't know. It just, I thought this is not that complicated. You don't need a computer program to that figure it out. probably costs money. <laughs> well, there's right. a sense of. I think there's a sense of pride. You know, if, if I'm going to just read into the character, you know, part of why she went to her grandma is to avoid her mom. Grandma knew that. You know, and now and she's because her mom caught. doesn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> now she's caught, you know, and now she has to kind of get the, the lecture from her mom, who obviously just like Googled it and pulled it up. Yeah. She doesn't know how to do it either because she lives with her fucking parents. <laughs> I was going to say, she could ask <laughs> right? her mom, Mom, yeah. how do you make it work? I live at yeah, home. I mean, you shouldn't have left. We had it made. <laughs> yeah, just go back home and you're going to be good. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. It was, it's, it's a fine kind of like, like in a pretty heavy episode, I think. It's kind of a fun thread, even though it's handling some things and moving those characters forward um, and kind of showing something well handled. I I think for the most part it was well handled. I mean, but if not a little bit brushed under the rug. But yeah, I I thought the scene between her and Sarah was more about the pride, right? Just the pride of and in the frustration of having to kind of look these things in the eye and say, I mean, I don't want to do this, but I have to kind of look at some of this. um, Yeah. Yeah. And the, the idea of budgeting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I learned to budget. I really don't. I didn't learn in school. I mean, I, th- I know my mom helped me with some of it, but I didn't become immaculately good at it <laughs> for a long time. And I think it cost me a lot of money. I mean, it, it did not help along the way. So it's important. Yeah. It also did seem like it was setting up for future storylines. You know, like it didn't seem like, and now Amber's story is wrapped up. It felt like now it's just beginning. 
Ah, good point. Yeah. So let's go on to Crosby and Jasmine in this episode. I loved their whole storyline with Jabbar. I did too. Mostly I loved seeing them work together on an issue and do it functionally and with a good attitude, both listening to each other and being a good team. It was the most chemistry I thought they'd had in a long time, which <laughs> because at the end of the episode, I think it's pretty obvious why they were setting that up. But I would have liked it even without the sex at the end, <laughs> the cheating, you know, probably even more. But yeah, I know. I was really struck when Jasmine first uh, goes over to the studio and the ease that she has with him. And she's like, hey, you have a minute or two or three, you know, and they're just joking with each other about Jabbar maybe not being as smart as they thought. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, like the way that they were able to make each other laugh and yeah, work together. It was all so healthy until <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Did we mess up? <laughs> I'm worried that we like ruined him. Yeah, I think we messed up, but I think we're going to mess up like a thousand more times before he's 18. I don't think you should get too spun out about this one. Okay. And my dad happened to tell me that he thinks we're incredible parents. What? Yeah, and you know what a tough judge he is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel a little better now. You know, I um, opened up that bottle of cab that you like. You want to join me for a drink? Yeah, I want to join you for a drink. Oh. It's free. Right? That's actually five dollars a glass. Totally right? worth it. I'll pay. I'll wave it. I'll pay ten. What I've seen of the previous episodes is really a lot of Crosby doing what Adam has been doing is like deflecting responsibility because he's still dealing with a fallout of losing his relationship and sometimes the max fallout too, right? And and so and kind of it it's created a strain between him and his brother and, and everybody. Um, and he refuses to take responsibility. Refu- and then all of a sudden, I'm watching this episode, and this guy has all the answers. And he um, is... And it's not in an annoying way. It's in a great way. It's in a reflective way. He's listening to what other people are saying, and he's reflecting that. It's not just going for what he wants or what he thinks, and he's not throwing these baby fits anymore. So obviously some the character development and the things have happened, and it's been good. But those the, these were the most enjoyable scenes in the whole episode. And they weren't the easiest scenes because, you know, it's sad. I mean, that's the. Yeah. That, and the camera work in the scene with Jabbar is beautiful. I mean, it's just really, it's well set up and it goes, it's just, it's simple, but it gets to the point and really, really great scene and really great chemistry between all three actors and just. They sometimes I get annoyed when parents have all the answers on these difficult conversations, and sometimes I love it. And in this one, I loved it. They answered his questions honestly, mm-hmm. and she kept deferring to Crosby, and Crosby went there, and he went there every time, and he said the hard yeah. thing, the hard truth that needed to be said, and I don't think I've seen that from this character in this in any of these episodes I've watched. And you know, and and then juxtaposed with Adam refusing to do that, and I'm you know I guess maybe we should read the undercurrents there, but. That was great. Listen, you know, families come in all kinds of combinations. Jabbar, you know, some kids have parents who are the same color, mm-hmm. like Sydney and Max. Mm-hmm. And some parents have different colors, mm-hmm. like you guys. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, more flavor. Right. <laughs> and you know some kids who have one mommy and one daddy, and some who have two mommies or two daddies. Like Jensen? Right, just like Jensen. Jensen is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But what we're talking about now is that some families have moms and dads that are married and live under the same roof. 
and some kids have parents who aren't married and live under different roofs. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that doesn't mean they can't be as happy as the other families. Well, you know Mom and I have decided to not live together and be friends, right? So that also means that there won't be a wedding like we planned. But you said you were going to get married and I was going to wear a suit and be in the wedding and I'll get to hold the ring. Yeah, well, you're right. We did tell you that. Mm. And we're really sorry. We're really sorry. We shouldn't have told you those things until we were 150% sure. So you're never, ever going to get married? No. No. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. I wish we were under the same roof family. I, I loved it too. Like in that scene between Crosby and Zeke, I was so impressed that Crosby just basically takes responsibility, which is maybe a theme of this episode. <laughs> like who's going to do it and who's not. And it's the thing that's been driving me crazy about about uh, Crosby for a long time. And I think it's funny that Mark actually used the phrase baby fake because I think I've used that same yeah. phrase. That, yeah, he he was throwing such a fit always about Dr. Joe and, you know, being angry at everyone for how all this played out, except for himself, you know, at himself. And finally, in this episode, he acknowledges, I fucked up. And I think that's what I was waiting for. I had been kind of hard on him before, and I'm like, why am I being so hard on him? What, is he supposed to, like, apologize for the rest of his life? But I'm like, I don't think he'd ever actually done this. This is what I was waiting for. I was instantly not mad at him anymore because I was like, I, I think I was really looking for you to not just say, I know I screwed up, all right? Not in a reactionary way like that, but to actually say, wow, what I did really messed things up for a lot of people. I can't buy Jasmine a house and fix it. Like, you know, all I can do is be a great dad, which he really is. And, and especially in this episode, you saw it. And I can get along with Jasmine as, as well as I can. Pretty damn well. Pretty damn yeah. well. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I, I really loved him in this episode. Um, Caleb, what were your thoughts? I'm so glad to hear you say that you think he's a good dad because like in that scene where Crosby tells Zeke he feels like a crappy dad and Zeke kind of talks him down, I felt a little bit conflicted about that. Well, Jabbar asked Jasmine and I when we were getting married the other day, and um, he was really confused. So we sat him down and explained to him that we weren't getting married, and um, he was just really disappointed. And I don't know, I, I think I... It's kind of the first time it hit me that, you know, when I cheated on Jasmine, it wasn't that just I lost her, you know, I, I ruined his chance at having a real family. And the fact that he can't have that because of me, it's, I just feel like a crummy dad. And that's what I was thinking no, about when I, I... you don't say that, son. Don't, don't say that. I mean, you're... You are a great father. I mean, my gosh, you know, look what you've... Look what you've done with that little guy. I mean, Jabbar Crosby, he looks up to you. I mean, I, he worships the ground you walk on. I watch him. Anyway, Christmas, you're his hero. 
you know? He loves you. You're the man in his life. That's a gift to Jabbar. And he loves you. So don't, don't say you're a bad father. You're doing just fine, son. In a way, I think his actions do make him a bad father mm. for exactly the reasons he says. But in another way, what good is it going to do him to walk around feeling like a bad father? Mm. That seems sort of self-destructive. And what Zeke says centers that judgment on Jabbar's opinion, which I think is nice. And I think it's true. I think Jabbar does look up to Crosby and loves him a lot. But it also raises the issue that Jabbar doesn't know why his parents are never going to get married. Yeah. And I assume that someday he will find out and Crosby will have to live with that. Yeah. Nice. And that one night where he made a really bad decision is going to have really powerful ramifications for years. And I'm sure he wasn't thinking about that, but he is now. So I don't think it does him much good to feel like a crappy dad, except to maybe use that feeling to motivate him to be a better father and think about what would that mean and how can he achieve it? And I do think that Zeke was both, yeah, right to give him that pep talk in that moment. But I did think it was interesting. His pep talk had no acknowledgement of what Crosby said. And Zeke, as someone who was also cheated on his wife, it might've been good to acknowledge that and say, it's good that you're feeling like this and remember that for the future. You know, if you ever are lucky enough to have something again, think twice be careful i had to learn that lesson you know like that might have been an interesting conversation but ultimately i really liked what he said well so so you're saying that he was feeling guilty for the cheating on jasmine it had nothing to do with fedora because i thought that maybe (laughs) because the fedora went in the closet that was what led to this i don't think we've seen the fedora since he cheated the fedora on her. of shame maybe, he just couldn't maybe look that's at it again. what you know needed to change i was i mean when caleb said you know eventually jabbar he's going to have to let jabbar know the truth i'm like yeah but i think jabbar can forgive the fedora i wasn't thinking of the cheating <laughs> <laughs> uh. It also weirdly made me think of this old interview I remember seeing with Janine Garofalo when she was on Sean Hannity's show. And I think this was in like 2004 when Bush was being reelected. And Hannity was trying to get, he was asking her, do you think America's a good country? And he was trying to get her to either say, I hate America, it's a bad country, or yes, we are a good country. And I, I kind of love what Janine Garofalo said because eventually she she was trying to deflect, deflect, and then eventually she said, I think America's a good country when it does good things, and I think it's a bad country when it does bad things. This is not that hard to understand. <laughs> and I thought about that ever since because I don't think it's that hard to understand. And I think it also illuminates a weakness that I would say humans have, which is trying to categorize things as good or bad when nothing is all one or the other. And so like Crosby feels like a crummy dad. And I was thinking when I watched that scene again, well, yeah, when you cheat on your fiance, you are a bad dad. Interesting. But when you own up to that and try and do better, then you're a good dad. Yeah. You're never one or the other. It's when you do good things, you're good. And when you do bad things, you're bad. I love that. That's so good. Well, And really, I just think the reflection is so important. He cannot go back in time and undo his mistake. He'd like to. He can't. But I think it's so important that we not just be in denial about how our actions affect other people. And I'm learning yeah. about myself just through this podcast 
That's what I have very low tolerance for. It's not mistakes. It's pretending like you didn't make mistakes and like you're perfect and everyone else just needs to like, I don't know, deal with you or something. It's, it's the, the minute Crosby said that to his dad, I just felt so relieved. I was, I, I don't know. I was like, that means you're not a bad dad that you're wondering if you are, you know? Yeah. So, and going back to that scene where they told Jabbar that they weren't going to get married. I love that scene too. And I remember while Seth was in rehab and kept saying, you know, if I hadn't had this problem, maybe we'd still be a family. I kept wishing someone would redefine family for him right. and say, you are still a family, whether you are an addict, whether you live with them, no matter what mistakes you've made, you are still a family. I loved that Jasmine and Crosby really drove that point home with Jabbar. That's how they framed the whole conversation. The whole thing. We are a family. There's lots of families. And ours is going to be one where we are not married and we might even be with other people. I guess I didn't say that part, but Mm -hmm. it would be easy, easier now to have that conversation because they had this one. Yeah. We'll always be a family no matter what. I mean, but then, gosh, poor Jabbar. I mean, his I wish we his were reaction was just that would be a dagger the, through the under heart. Under the same roof, families. Yeah. God, man. Also, I want to point out that this is the scene where they say that Jensen has either two mommies or two daddies. Even though in a previous episode, Jensen said, "Mom and Dad, I'm in." Yeah, that's a bit of retcon. Look but at di- us. didn't Crosby pause on that and say? Didn't he kind of... Oh, maybe it's a new development. I guess, yeah, it could have... Maybe that's it. Maybe. Maybe because that was season two. A lot can happen in a year. (laughs) Yeah, I guess (laughs) What if Jasmine had started dating Dr. Janine instead of Dr. Joe? Then perhaps Jabbar would have two mommies and you know what I'm just saying? It can happen. Except, never mind, because Dr. Joe apparently means nothing. (laughs) Um, Should we talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about that. I truly didn't, speaking of things I didn't remember, you know, like Adam lying to Christina for the whole episode, I truly did not remember that Jasmine and Crosby slept together. And when they were drinking the wine and really getting along, I thought, is this a version of cheating? You know, like an emotional betrayal. You know, Dr. Joe is somewhere not a part of this moment. (laughs) And they are really, there's an intimacy here. But then that ambiguity got cleared up real quick (laughs) because Jasmine definitely cheated on Dr. Joe and Crosby participated again. But, you know, well, first of all, Melissa didn't remember it. And when we were watching it, I said, oh, they're going to hook up. And she's like, I don't remember that happening. And then it happened. But I mean, from the wine on, I was like, oh, yeah, that's happening. But, you know, to go to that, um, I've got to give them a little bit of of a pass because like they have just navigated a really difficult situation in parenting with their child. And whether they're, you know, like you say, whether they're a family under one house, you know, under one roof or not, they've navigated that. And that does, that's an intimacy that families have. You know, that's an intimacy that you're going to have with the other parent of your kids sometimes. And I, I think they should be able to indulge in that. I don't, I don't know that they should. Intercourse? Indulge, huh? No. Intercourse? Well, I was about to oh, clarify. Okay. But like the talking <laughs> and the drinking oh, the wine. Indulge in the yes. wine. Like yeah, having yeah, yeah, that yeah, intimate yeah. moment. It's not the same as him going with Mika Kelly to have a drink right. knowing like like that's it's not the I mean he True. knows what's gonna happen. He he knows he knows what's happening and he has no problem with it. And I you know, and I just I think that with their relationship 
everybody else is kind of secondary. They have a child together and they were, they did break up. Um, and does Crosby necessarily deserve this moment? I don't know. You know, that's for debate. Does Joe deserve this to happen to him? I, I don't think so. No, no, no. But it, it, at the same time, like they have this relationship and this is what happens. And I think to me, I don't, I reserve my judgment, I guess is what I'm saying because you know, I agree that Jasmine and Crosby get to have a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and even though like the wine, you know, when she says, I think you should go. I think if he had just gone. Yeah. Then I wouldn't have been yeah. like, yeah, she doesn't need to tell Joe. It's not, nothing happened. But I, I thought that, oh, in this time, Crosby is the Gabby. Yeah. And neither Gabby nor Crosby were ignorant of the relationship status of the people they slept with. And, you know, same same thing here. And I don't I don't really know how to feel about this because their chemistry was really crackling. And I enjoyed that because I like those characters. But I, I want them to behave ethically. And this didn't feel right. Maybe because I just love Dr. Joe. Well, sure. But I also felt, you know, I don't think judgmental is the right word. But I was very surprised not that Crosby slept with Jasmine. That surprised me. Not at all. Yeah, and he no, won't not at care all. about Dr. Joe. <laughs> like, he doesn't care at all. Right. I was very surprised J- uh, Jasmine slept with Crosby because she was so yeah. hurt when Crosby cheated on her. And I, I would think she would not want to put someone through that. But, you know, what, what we talked about, like, Crosby watching Minka Kelly be successful at something and the art of something. Crosby was a very good father in this episode and he navigated something very well that she didn't think he could do right i mean she is always condescending to him from what i've seen (laughs) about his his fathering ability and he does it he does a really good job in this one and that that has to bring some attraction out for her and the hypocrisy of human action right like i mean the, the, the things that we're most outraged about that people have done to us are the things that we are at risk of doing to other people. Um, it happens, yeah. you know. And so, I don't know. That seems pretty human to me, that scene. But also, I see why she's attracted to him. He, he actually... I didn't understand any attraction to Crosby before this moment, other than like sheepish frat boy garbage. But this one, I see it. He was a he was an adult. <laughs> he was an adult yeah. and he nailed it, and it was great, you know. And I just and I don't feel like it was a drunken hookup. No. And something I like I felt about that I really liked is like the shifting of the scene. So they they have the wine and they toast to Doctor Joe, <laughs> which is the present, right? And then they toast to what's her name, Tough. which is the Tough. past. And then it, they're both the past, right? They have just <laughs> toasted to the past. Like it's such a cool little like spin because it's like, like these two people are coming together, like, you know, to your life, to your life. And then it's, that's our life now, whether they, regardless of what happens, they have something to deal with together again. Right. And, yeah. and I mean, I hope they end up together, especially if Crosby's you know, remains this way because that really, really killer. Obviously there's some things to do now, you know? And, and so that toast was really awesome to me. I love that. I love that scene. Yeah. I thought it was really great. And I didn't find it. I mean, ethically, yes, because they're in relationships and I get that, but they have a deeper connection there. It's, it's not superficial. So it's there, there are other things that they're trying to navigate while they're doing that. Yeah. In the last deleted scene, ah, they yes. toast Gabby. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, don't think that toast would have worked out so well because no. Crosby would have had glass in his face. <laughs> right. I was I was debating to myself. I was like, okay, 
Jasmine told Crosby a few episodes back, like, it's time for us to have that conversation about having someone who's serious enough in my life to have a relationship with Jabbar. So I was trying to think like, well, maybe are they exclusive yet? You know, like maybe there's a loophole here. They're certainly not engaged, Jasmine and Dr. Joe, the same way that Jasmine and Crosby had been, you know? So maybe in her mind, it's like, this is more casual or maybe she's just not thinking or maybe she's just going with the moment. We'll see the fallout surely next episode. Yeah, I don't remember. I any really of, don't. <laughs> but I didn't I remember, didn't remember this happened. This. I really, I remember most important things, but I really, it's funny to me that you and I forgot that this happened. When, I mean, yeah. really, when Mark was like, you see what's happening here. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure it gets stopped because I don't remember this happening. And You're wrong. I was wrong. Um, <laughs> it's true. Mark, you had uh, told me such a beautiful observation. It's what I thought you were going to say before about like the, the love scene between them and you saw Jasmine's face. Yeah, I just noticed like that, you know, that wasn't like a, often these love scenes are in shadow, like the faces are in shadow and you kind of see the silhouette and they do the thing because for some reason people shoot the same thing for, but in this one, as you see her face, she's just smiling. She's just got this big comfortable smile on her face. I noticed that too. And uh, I think that that's very, I mean, I, to me, that tells you like, she's very comfortable in this decision she's making, whether we ad- disagree or not, you know, like what she has with Crosby is, is deeper than what she has with Dr. Joe and Dr. Joe doesn't deserve heartbreak for that, but he's probably in line for a little heartbreak because of the situation <laughs> that he's kind of been in, you know? Yeah. And so, um, but she is and and I think the smile implies consent as well. Um, but it also implies that this is more than just a lusty hookup. This is like her happy right. place. Like he has become her happy spot. He is safe to her again, oh, which that's is beautifully put. Yeah. And I mean, she's so good, right? She's so good. That smile yeah. radiate. I mean, she does it. She does the thing. I it's really, she's so good. And so yeah. I don't know. I, I just did not, I don't, you know, I'm not afraid to judge. You heard how I feel about Adam, but I didn't feel <laughs> that way with this one. And you know, how I felt about the Minka Kelly one too. Yeah. And I wasn't even a particularly a huge fan of Jasmine, honestly. I mean, I'm not one way or the other. I haven't seen a lot of her. But I, I enjoyed that scene, and I thought that it was it made sense to me. It, it made a lot of sense. And I think that their chemistry is just, like you say, crackling. That's a wonderful way to yeah. describe it. Well, she said to Julia in a previous episode that she was so mad at Crosby that she didn't think she would ever stop being mad. And this development, it reminds me of an episode of Friends where Rachel is <laughs> yelling at Ross And he says, you know, you dumped me. And she said, yeah, because I was mad at you, not because I stopped loving you. That's such a good episode. And I wonder if that's, you know, because I don't think we've ever heard Jasmine say, I don't love Crosby anymore. Yeah. Now, not that that gives her license to cheat on her boyfriend. If they are exclusive, that is a good point. It's just something I thought of now. I I want, yeah. Because it is hard to tell how much time has passed and we don't see them really much, if at all, outside of Crosby's perspective. So it's not clear what's going on between the two of them. But I certainly believed that it could happen. Oh, yeah. I'm just torn about it. And I'm happy about it in a way. But also like, oh. I feel like, you know, I mean, when you look at it from just a development arc, that Dr. Joe, as good of a character as he may be, seems very charming is really a Crosby character developer 
You know, it's really to like get yeah. that venom out of Crosby and make him face some things and grow. That that relationship with Jasmine was never really of consequence. It's really about those two. It's a hot take. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the theme of this episode was honesty, right? I, think I mean, so. <laughs> it's called although Mr. Melissa, honesty. you said responsibility. That's kind of what I touched earlier. On. That's yeah. That might be even more accurate. That's why they had to take out Drew's storyline. It had nothing to do with anything. Although honesty or responsibility, responsibility does go with Mae Whitman's storyline more than honesty does. You know, I think yeah. because she's learning how to be responsible just as an adult. Although she is honest with her grandmother about what she's with going Camille. through. Yeah. I mean, isn't they're interconnected? Definitely yeah. interconnected. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, they're yeah. Yeah. Taking responsibility requires honesty. Like, I think that's ironically, Adam. Mr. Honesty, you yeah. would assume, refers to Adam. But I think it's sarcastic. Yeah, I was going to say sarcastically, yeah. but truly. Yeah, because <laughs> the reason he is not taking responsibility is because he's not being honest with himself. Yeah. And I think Crosby wasn't being honest with himself for a long time until yeah. maybe this episode. And it paid off. (laughs) He was rewarded handsomely. (laughs) America, watch Crosby. In one episode, he took responsibility, and then look what happened. Look what happened. It was a messy episode, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. I did, too. I thought it was wonderful. I'm looking forward to the next time Crosby hooks up at the end of uh, episode. I'll be back on to give you my take on it. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I love watching the episode with you here. And we we did a really good job not really talking about it as he was taking his notes because we were saving it for the pie. Saving it all for you, Kayla. Oh, yeah. saving all my notes for you. That was fun. Well, thank you again, Mark, for being here. I love you. And uh, you can find us on Parenthood Pals Everywhere, Insta. Twitter, Facebook. I wondered if I could pull off Insta, and that's why I said it all haltingly. I think you did. Thanks. Okay, excellent. You can also find us at parenthoodpals.com. You sure can. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.